What's up, guys? Thank you all for checking out this edition of the New Generation Hero Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart. We got a great show lined up for you guys today. Of course, we'll be talking more about the fallout from Brian Flores filing a class action lawsuit against the National Football League, the New York Football Giants, and the Denver Broncos, alleging racial discrimination in the hiring practices when it comes to NFL head coaches. This is a story that has really taken over the pre-Super Bowl week, headed into the Super Bowl next week. Um, This story involving the lack of minority, black, and other POC head coaches has played the league really forever, really, especially for the last 20 years, I would say. And coming into this coach head coaching cycle, where we only have right now one black head coach in the NFL, already was a major story. And I think Brian Flores kind of brought the lighter fluid and 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 and, and the TNT, and really kind of blew this story up to really beyond a sports lexicon, more on like a, a worldwide kind of news story at this point. So we'll be talking plenty about the fallout from that. Speaking of NFL head coaches, we've had plenty of them hired over the past. Two weeks, we'll give you guys the latest update on how the NFL head coaching cycle is working. Very interesting. We can consider the names that are being being hired. Not too many names of guys that were former NFL head coaches. A lot of OCs. We'll talk about what that means and if there's anything to take away from the people that are getting getting picked for these jobs. And we'll wrap the show talking about the NBA All-Star game. The NBA All-Star Reserves. We're recording this podcast on a Thursday night. All-Star Reserves got dropped. Just like every year, whenever they have an NBA All-Star Reserve uh, reveal roster, there is plenty of conversation, plenty of debate about who got snubbed, who didn't. You might be a little surprised at how I felt about how the coaches did this year. I don't have many complaints, really, only except one. So we'll talk about that later on in the show. Really excited to talk about all these topics. Joining me is my co-host, starting with Kendall. And Kendall, before we get into the Brian Flores stuff, you know we'll have next week a, a major uh, Super Bowl episode of new generation sports talk there's a very good chance it will probably just be only super bowl uh next week very excited about this game kendall i think that to me there are three things i learned about this matchup from last week's championship sunday number one joe burrow is him number two odell beckham is right and number three i may be tripping on the 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 issues regarding uh, super parity in the NFL. Because, Kendall, you know, for a long time, I've been a stickler about how I thought the hyper parity in the league had led to there not being very good teams or, you know, great teams in the NFL. And one could argue that I'm not sure if these two teams qualify as what you would consider all-time kind of great teams. Maybe the Rams on a talent level basis. The Bengals have been the kind of an upstart, kind of a a surprise story, a young team kind of on the rise. They definitely wouldn't, I don't know, you could think of it as a great team, though, if they win a Super Bowl. Obviously, that changes things. But I sat back, Kendall, and I got to admit, in my old age, man, I must be getting soft. Must be getting soft because uh, this uh, this evening, I'm on my phone, going through Twitter. I spent way too much time on Twitter, by the way. I need to start cutting down my Twitter time. But I'm on Twitter. I'm scrolling through. And a shout-out to Cincinnati.com. I believe that's the website for, uh, like, Cincinnati, a Cincinnati news website. And they posted a compilation of fans celebrating the Bengals making the Super Bowl, you know, on the game-winning kick from Evan McPherson, Kendall. And yes, it wasn't – yes, and it wasn't just – you know, you get the normal bar reactions where it's just a bunch of crap people yelling and stuff. And that's cool. It always looks great. It always looks fun. 
But I thought this was done like whoever cut this did an amazing job, and just the 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 way the story kind of told itself. You know, first the kick, then showing the fans at the stadium, then maybe showing a couple people at once the the field goal went through, maybe at the bar. But then Kendall, they got these intimate videos people shot, which is happening more and more nowadays. People are taping their reactions to certain things of the people once they kind of it settled in that the Bengals were going to the Super Bowl, and had people crying, Kendall. <laughs> people in tears, yes. people who thought they never would see this before, people just could not contain their emotions about their happiness, about seeing what has been a pathetic franchise and a hapless franchise for so many years make it to the mountaintop of the National Football League. And I watched this, and Kendall, uh, it was like waterworks for me, man. I, I Again, I'm getting soft. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'm watching. I'm getting emotional watching this, and maybe it's because I'm a Jeff fan, and like I thought Jeff about it was having, a and you're a Viking, fan. so maybe we're both maybe we're both suckers for this <laughs> for this particular media. Because as a Jet fan, and you as a Viking fan, Vikings never won a Super Bowl. Jets yeah. haven't won a Super Bowl since Joe Montana waved that number one as he walked off the field of the Orange Bowl in 1970. Like. Neither one of us have seen our teams. Neither one of us have seen us, our teams uh, not only win a Super Bowl, even get to the Super Bowl. We've never seen it. The Bengals have been in the Super Bowl before. But it's been a long time. But a lot of these people who haven't either haven't seen it in a long time or have never seen it, people that were you know crying in these videos, I've never seen that. And it, it struck a chord with me. I was like, yo, this is amazing. This is, like, really amazing that this is happening. And it, it spoke to me about, like, just the, the power of, the parity and the power of the shield in the sense that unlike the NBA, unlike Major League Baseball, we're not as enamored with the idea of we got to have New York, we got to have Boston. The only reason why we'll care about this is, is, or the country will care about this is if New York or Boston is involved. And I admit in LA, and I admit LA is involved with this, but it's not the same in terms of the impact of having a major market team in the big dance or in the big game, as we call it, you know, Zoo Hot's big dance is March Madness. Like to me, that video really sent it home and why people are so invested in this game this week, this idea of this underdog franchise and this, this city of Cincinnati that is really, a, you know, it's, it's a big city, so to speak, but it's more like a big town really than even like a, like a big city and how they're rallying around this team and what this meant to this, 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 uh, this, this community it, I got emotional, and I'm watching this, and I'm like, man, this is why parody in the NFL works, because you get moments like this that you'll just flat out never see in the NBA. You're never going to see the Sacramento Kings in the NBA Finals. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you know, baseball, you know, because of the analytics advancement and money ball kind of stuff, you're starting to see some wacky team, Tampa Bay, getting into the World Series a bunch of times. But typically, a lot of times, it's like you ain't going to see them small market teams in there. They're just never going to be in it. It's just they have no hope. You know, maybe they can get the playoffs every now and then, that's it. The fact that the NFL, there is this true idea that a team could be literally at the bottom, get a superstar like Joe Burrow, and all of a sudden you're right there, it changes us everything. And I, I got to admit, man, this is the most excited I've been for a Super Bowl matchup that I can think of in a long time. I think a large part is because there aren't the usual suspects involved. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like... Um... Yeah, certainly well said. I mean, I think another part of that is when you have the parity, like in the NBA, even if beyond the market, in the NBA, if you have a team like the Cleveland Cavaliers make it, maybe that was a little bit of a stretch because that was a city that hadn't seen a championship in years. 
Um, but when you see a Cleveland Cavaliers make it or, um, you know, you see a Golden State Warriors with San Francisco as a big market, but not a team that's a that's a that's, you know, you look at it as one of the oh, this is one of the flagship franchises of the league. They, those those things aren't as surprising when they happen because you got LeBron, because you've got Steph Curry. Um, when teams make it in the NBA, t- typically they're kind of supposed to make it. Um, right. Even the Milwaukee Bucks, when they made it last year, it was sort of miraculous because they beat Brooklyn, but they but still had a team that was at the, no, the reigning MVP back then. Yeah, you had the reigning number, MVP. Number one seed the previous year, and they kind of <laughs> Yeah, so it wasn't there. It was nothing really that shocking about it. It was just, right. wow. Pinch myself. The Bucks. We haven't made Finally it. Finally did it. Time. Yeah. Finally, Giannis got us over the hump. Uh, the Suns thing was pretty shocking, but you know, still, you know, what were they? Two seed. You know, like yeah, those, those, those. You know, like in the NFL, it, and and just and even just the impact of like the the entertainment value. Now, you mean you are basketball heads, and we love the NBA Finals. It doesn't matter who's playing, but sometimes yeah. for a lot of fans, it's like. Oh, Milwaukee and Phoenix, uh, whatever. You know, um, may, right. maybe and I, I don't remember what the ratings were. To be honest, at this moment in time, maybe Giannis, someone like Giannis, could you know boost the ratings where it doesn't matter. But again, with the NFL, you don't worry about that as much, and it's for stories like this, right? Um, and so for the, for the the individual fan bases, the only I mean, the only fan base right now in the league that is that would be like that Golden State Warriors would be Kansas City, like. Mm-hmm. At that point, they, at this point, they kind of don't really care one way or the other. Of course, they want to make it, but, you know, and then, like, the New England, you know, uh, <laughs> when Brady was there. But, like, for the most part, the mo- most, almost all 32 fan bases kind of don't know if their team's going to make it, would be almost surprised if they do, and or would, would, would finish themselves in the same, in the same, and have a very similar reaction to, to those, uh, to those Cincinnati Bengals fans, like you said, that that is a that is a, a a a thing that's that's almost exclusive to the NFL. Um, it, it, it like again, awesome video, and yeah, this matchup is going to be terrific. I'm excited to preview it uh, next week. I mean, what an awesome win by Joe Burrow last week! Uh, and shout that out Bengals to the defense. LA Rams as well. Yeah, shout out to that Bengals yes, defense. Yeah, Lou Burrow's getting live. Yeah, Lou Amarillo, but, yeah. the DC, um, did an excellent job in that second half. Not really sure what happened to Patrick Mahomes. Uh, that's going to be a storyline all offseason. <laughs> it's going to be how can he rebound from, you know, one of the worst halves of, of, of football in, from his, in his career um, on the biggest stage, one of the biggest stages he's played on in his career. So, yeah, I mean, quite, quite the quite – the, Playoffs. It's been so far. Quite the last two weeks has been so. We'll see if the Super Bowl can uh can top it. Like I said, next week you'll have a full Super Bowl show talking about these matchups in a more intimate detail. I think it's a and we also uh, matchup. Yep. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say, you know, the, the the weekend not only brought us the uh the Super Bowl, but I mean not the Super Bowl, but the Super Bowl matchup, but it also. Uh, brought us the the subsequent retirement of Tom Brady. Yeah, this uh, week this has been and unretirement and be retirement. Yeah, this has been like the one of the wildest weeks in the history of the NFL. My man, <laughs> like I mean, yeah. if you really and maybe you know, I, I try not to deal in that kind of hyperbole because I think a lot of times it's shock value and it's kind of nonsense to kind of say those kind of statements. But you consider arguably the greatest player of all time 
um, retired kind of unexpectedly, but then he kind of denied it. And then he went through with it like a day later, a couple of days later and beyond right after the fact that, you know, you know, the Bengals and the Rams had these crazy games on Sunday to get to the Super Bowl. And then of course the Ryan Flores, uh, Flores allegation. It's just, it's, uh, a wild week in the shield and 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 we're gonna we're gonna dive into it shout out to tom brady i guess as a Jets fan i, I can't mm-hmm. you know i can't give him all the love in the world um when i when i heard the news uh all i did was uh post a picture of tom brady um with the the headline he was retiring on my instagram and i just played uh, uh logic's uh amen that's all I, that's all i can say amen amen tom brady's been a great Obviously, one of the maybe the greatest of all time. It's hard to really argue that he's not the greatest quarterback of all time. At least, it's becoming even more hard to argue he's not the greatest player of all time. And the guy had a great career, but I'm a Jeff fan, so uh, you know, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Like <laughs> I had enough. He, he you know, he, he spoiled my team the chances at winning a big game just this year. Even on the Bucks, when I thought we were done with this guy, uh, it speaks to his excellence, his greatness. I kind of would love to see. I don't want to say I love to see it because. You know, every time he did anything, I was, I felt like uh, Aaron Paul's uh, character in Breaking Bad. You know, with the he can't get away with it. Um, when he'd have these miraculous performances at age forty-five and forty-four, you know, part of me is like, man, I would love to have seen it because he have taken it to 48, 49, 50. But, um, but congrats to him on his retirement. Congrats to uh, the next chapter in the life of Tom Brady. But uh, there's a lot of stuff to talk about with the NFL, as we've we talked about already. And let's get to what has been the dominant story for the past few days in the NFL. Former Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores files a class action lawsuit against the National Football League, the New York Giants, and the Denver Broncos, alleging, and the Miami Dolphins, sorry, who I missed out in the previous open, for a racial discrimination when it comes to head coaching hiring. So here are the allegations, Kendall. It starts with the Giants where you have the situation where Brian Flores is interviewing for the New York Giants. Brian Flores, a Brooklyn guy, New York kid. So, you know, if you know anything about grew being a Giant fan, grew up a Giant fan, you know anything about even forget how you being Giant, you know, grew up in the only thing about being a New Yorker and you're interviewing for the New York Giants football head coaching job. I mean, that's as big as it gets in New York city for someone who's from this, from this area. So he's interviewing for this job probably a dream job kind of situation for him. And he gets a text from former boss and I guess pseudo mentor, Bill Belichick, who he was a uh, top defensive assistant under when he was with New England. And Bill Belichick texts him, congrats, man. Sounds like you're going to be the Giants head coach. This is before Brian Flores interviews with the New York Giants. Brian Flores, it's a sad seeing these texts. You can You kind of feel like you've all been there. Where you get excited about a text that wasn't to you, and then you realize it was to some someone else. You're like, oh man, that would have been great if that was for me. And I guess it, it's not. And that's what you kind of see go through in this text chain that is, is screenshotted in the actual lawsuit. And Flores, when he gets this response from Belichick that he's gonna get the giant job, he's like, Wow, really? I don't even I didn't even interview with them. I interviewed tomorrow. And Bill's like, Oh, well, I heard from the Giants and Buffalo that you got the job. And from there, Brian Flores realized something is afoot because he's like, why would Buffalo, Buffalo. know that I'm getting 
head coaching job with the Giants. And an argument saying, well, maybe they somehow they told Dable to get lost or whatever. But that that would have been very weird. Like, right. he, you would think he would have heard from Miami or someone else. Yeah, so he's all connected. He's like, wait a minute. My name is Brian. And the other guy who's trying to get this job's name is also Brian. We and he also work. worked under Bill Belichick. <laughs> is it possible that maybe he thinks I am Brian Dable, not Brian Flores in these texts? And that is when Bill responds to Brian saying, Brian Flores, saying, ah, F this up. Sorry, I thought you were Brian Dable. I'm heard, I heard he's the guy getting the job. Sorry about that. And then, the, you know, the sad, the sad text at the end, Kendall. And we all, we all got this Kendall text when you get the bad news. And there's really not much you could say other than just, thanks, Bill. Whoever it was, thanks. You know, it could be Jan, thanks, Tommy, whoever. You just, you can't really say much more. There's no more to add to the conversation. It's just, all right, thanks. And that was it. And that kind of started the, the started the domino effect of what we got from this lawsuit. Brian Flores then went on to go on that interview with the New York Giants, a long, very extensive interview that he now says he believes is a sham interview because the Giants, in his eyes, because of what the text, because of the text he got from Bill Belichick, they had already decided that Brian Dable was going to be their guy. Now, it's important to note for the New York Giants that they just hired a new general manager. The new general manager for the New York Giants, Joe Shane, He's a, he was a former top executive with the Buffalo Bills, which is where Brian Dable was an offensive coordinator. And the reporting in the word was that Shane was uh, was was a very enticed and very uh, excited about the idea of pairing up with Brian Dayball as his head coach with the New York Giants. So of course Flores goes through this interview, and within moments after those that interview is done, Dayball is, is is reported to be the next coach of the New York Giants, and that's where Flores says, "I've had enough of this nonsense. I'm calling a lawyer." <laughs> And that's where we get this lawsuit, Kendall. And it goes beyond just the New York Giants in their alleged conduct during the situation. He brings in his former employer, the Miami Dolphins, who, if you remember, we talked about in this podcast. Somehow, despite back-to-back winning seasons with just a flat-out garbage team and garbage management, he was fired very unceremoniously on Black Monday. Brian Flores, despite the success took over a team that people thought was trying to lose on purpose and <laughs> there's the the kicker for that we learned something potentially from Flores about that whole situation took a team that was apparently trying to lose on purpose and two three years later they were winning at a level that we had not seen in the NFL you know the team had never went one in seven then won its next seven games in a row that's never happened in the NFL before uh you talk about the way they they improved from the, the four or five win season in the first year to 10 wins in the second season uh, with a, a rookie quarterback and a, a really old quarterback splitting time. It was really wild how Flores put that team together and they were able to be successful. None of that mattered because the word was that he was this malcontent. He was this dude that nobody could work with, that he was this guy that couldn't get along with his quarterback because he wanted Deshaun, Jack, Deshaun Watson so much. So they said, we got to get him out of there. He's, he's the reason why we're not getting to the next level. Well, we learned, according to Brian Flores, that he feels like the Dolphins had it out for him in the beginning because he says... When I first got to the Dolphins, I had the owner come to me and say, yo, we're, we're not trying to win games right now. We want to tank. We want to tank so we can get our, our higher draft pick, potentially draft our franchise quarterback, and move forward from there. 
And Brian Flores in his eyes, he's like, yo, I'm a win, I'm a winner. I'm not, I'm not, there's not in my it's not in my DNA to tank. I'm I'm here to work hard, grind, and do my thing. The alleged response to that from Stephen Ross Kendall, it's me astonishing. When he heard that the man he's paying millions of dollars to coach football at the highest level in the world, it told him I'm a hardworking guy. I'm ten toes down in this. I'm not gonna try to I'm gonna try to do as much as I can to win for you and win for this organization, this city. You know what? Stephen Ross, who owns this franchise and is supposed to be looking out for the fans, looking out for the community, and trying to put the best product out there for the Miami Dolphins. You know what he told him, Kendall? What he told? Yo, have you heard of Cabo? Have you been to Cancun? What about Hawaii? Go on vacation is what he told him. All that, oh, uh, yeah, you're doing all that, you know, watching film till 3 a.m., you know, uh, getting extra work in with, with your assistants. Making sure, you know, your QB's getting extra reps after practice. Eh, eh. <laughs> check out Cabo. Check out, check out, check out Aruba. Have you been to Aruba lately? You got a young family, young kids? It's a blast. Go to the Bahamas. Go on vacation is what Stephen Ross allegedly told Brian Flores. When Flores tried to say, I'm down for the cause. I'm down for trying to make sure this is a winning organization. I don't want to try to lose on purpose for you. Stephen Ross said, don't work hard. <laughs> That's how much I want to get it across that I want you to work hard. In fact, in fact, Kendall, I will pay you $100,000 for every time this team loses. <laughs> that, to me, is still, the, the giant stuff is crazy. We're going to get into that. But that, to me, is still the wildest part. One, that he, that he hired this man and gave him millions of dollars. And the guy told him, I'm a winner. I'm 10 toes down on this. I'm going to give you all I got. And the response was, yo, go on vacation, fam. That's not needed. <laughs> and that, this is the first job I've ever heard where the, they, they were telling you purposely, yo, we don't want you to give it your all. <laughs> yeah, don't do a good job. Don't do a good job. Go on vacation. Like, and that's the part about this that's funny to me, Kendall, is you have situations where, you know, and we'll get into the meat of this in a bit, but, you know, tanking happens in the NFL. And we'll explain that later. That's not happens in sports. All sports. In sports. You're right. That's not disegregious. All sports you know, really draft. Yeah. Right. right. And, and, and and here it was it was different. You you had the guy not say, oh, play the young guys so we can learn what they got, even though we know they probably don't got enough to win us games. This was, yo, don't evaluate your team. <laughs> don't do the work needed to even put a, a decent product out there. That to me, and then he was like, "You know what? To double the the for your for your troubles of not working hard, here's a hundred racks for every time you're successful and not working hard enough to get us to win." That's apparently what Stephen Ross told him, and he said that this left a bad taste in Stephen Ross's mouth. Things were never the same after he was like, "Yo, I'm not tanking." Allegedly, Stephen Ross is trying to bring him onto a yacht where he's arranged a, a clandestine meeting. With a prominent QB, <laughs> prior to free agency period, this player was already on the roster with another team. Brian Flores said, "Yo, I, I left the yacht immediately." Sounded like a guy that that, that showed up at like a like a mob hit or showed up at <laughs> he showed up at like a, at a drug deal. He was like, "I I can't see this. I'm leaving right now." That's what it sounded like. As Flores said, "Yo, I'm taking these guys to court. I ain't standing for this." How did I get fired over this? 
He loves the Denver Broncos, John John Elway, that brass. When he came in for the interview prior to the, getting the Miami job, a job that he believes uh, in terms of the Denver Broncos job that was preordained for Vic Fangio, he said John Elway showed up hammered, showed up an hour late, went through the motions in the interview because they asked him serious questions. <laughs> he said this is the kind of stuff he dealt with. And he said, yo, I've had enough. I'm not dealing with this no more. I don't care that I'm a finalist for jobs with the Texans and the Saints. I don't even care about that no more. Lawyer up. Because we ain't doing this no more. Just a wild story. Can the, where, where, where's the first place you go when you hear these allegations from Brian Flores? Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess we should start with the Giants. Yeah. Um, and the, 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 the Brian Dayball aspect and... The Belichick text. I mean, I don't really think that there are. I, I can't. I, well, look. I mean, the, obviously, the guilty party in this is is the Giants. You know, um, and, and really, it's just it's the concept of of the Rooney Rule because, like, you know, I mean, Bill Belichick. I I don't really think he's. Some people are upset at Belichick. I mean, Bel Belichick's just congratulating somebody that he thought was getting a job or he heard was getting a job and. You know, I mean, <laughs> mistakenly texted the wrong person. He probably wouldn't have told Flores. Uh, had, of course. You know, had had uh, had he not texted yeah. him uh, incorrectly. So, uh, you know, he made a mistake. Uh, but, I, you know, I don't think Belichick had any ill intent. Um, in terms of the Giants, they're the ones that get caught sort of with their hands in the cookie jar. Um, look, these are things that we know go on in the NFL. It's, you know, anybody that follows the NFL coaching carousel closely can see can see when teams are interviewing guys. And because I I mean, it's funny because I don't normally really think about the Rooney rule when I'm just following all oh, this guy's right. going to interview this team. A lot of times I'm just I'm just oh this team I'm wondering why the team's interviewing this guy and mm-hmm. a lot of times when I whenever I it, it, whenever I look at a name and I'm like really they're interviewing this guy it always tends to be a minority candidate mm-hmm. you know it always tends to be white why 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 are they interviewing this guy yeah why why why, why, like, why is the uh, yeah why is the uh, Saints running back coach up for a head coaching job for the yeah, Cowboys yeah. you're like yeah yeah why, why is, uh, good for the brother why, but like is this really leaves? yeah what's going on here. The, the Cowboys really they're gonna hire Marvin Lewis you know like mm, it, it, yeah. not, you know Marvin Lewis is very was a very good coach in Cincinnati but you know it was a very it was strange it was like wow you know <laughs> right. it, it's always a surprise and I never feel like this guy's gonna get the job and then I remember oh wait they've gotta they gotta you know they gotta do the Rooney rule so they gotta find you know initially it was just you had to interview one minority candidate now it's you know you know, two external candidates and, and, and an internal candidate and you got to do it. Um, you know, you have to interview them at least two candidates. You have to interview both in-house and, or not in-house, but both, uh, virtually and in person. Yes. Um, and so we see it all the time with, with both GMs and with, uh, coaches, where a lot of times it doesn't always add up. Why? Why is this guy a candidate? Um, not because that guy, you know, not because not because even that guy isn't qualified, but more so, I don't, you know, I don't think that team's gonna hire this guy. 
Right. You know, the reporting like, around where yeah, the reporting looking, is oh, like they're looking we into. knew. I mean, me and EJ, yeah. we had a conversation about the Giants last week or yeah. in, before, like a week and a half ago, yeah. and we were talking about and I we were talking about oh yeah, the Giants seem to be coming down. You know, they're interviewing guys, but I told him I was like, I'd be shocked if it wasn't Brian Dable. Right. I'd be absolutely shocked. And the other guy I thought it could have been was Flores. Flores seemed like the other guy, given his ties to to New York and yeah. You know, his ties to Belichick and just the, the good job he did in Miami. It was like, look, I mean, if it's not going to be Dayball with the Buffalo connection, then Flores is the guy that makes the most sense. Um, and I think Flores probably understood that, too. He probably thought Dayball is my biggest competition uh, in this in this race. But but, yeah, no, I mean, that was it was pretty clear before the Giants had even even interviewed Dayball that he was likely to be the guy. And that was that shouldn't be the case, you know? And then if that is the case, these teams, you know, like when we're putting these guys through these, these, these dog and pony shows, yeah. Just to, just to, just to, just to fill a quota or just to fulfill a quota is it's ridiculous. Uh, You know, to me, I, I personally think that the NFL should get rid of the Rooney rule and it's not, it's not too, and and I understand it's there to <laughs> to make teams uh, interview minority candidates because there was a time in which that was not happening at a at a uh, reasonable rate. Um, and while the interviews are happening, the hires aren't happening at all. So mm-hmm. clearly, it's not working. Um, you shouldn't need a rule to incentivize or force teams to interview minority candidates. That should just be happening. Yeah. Uh, there's no other sport where that's a where that's a rule. Um, it 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 shouldn't be. You shouldn't have to have it. And all it does is create these humiliating situations for guys. Right. Where you're going into an interview knowing that you're not going to get the job, but you have to do the interview just because politics. Just because. Yeah. Uh, look, I mean, it might look good that I interviewed for this coordinator job, and I'm just the assistant running backs coach. It might look good that I interviewed for this head coaching job, even though I'm just the the tight end coach. Yeah, the DB coach. Yeah, exactly. yeah, or the DB coach. You know, like, and and that's, you know, that those those sort of politics are played in the NFL, and that's fine. But again, that shouldn't be forced. If that guy, if if a team is bringing in a guy for a job interview, they should be seriously considering that guy for the job. And I don't know. I think the Giants may have been seriously considering uh, Brian Flores as, as a candidate, but if you've already made your decision. They're also they don't need there doesn't need to be two lines of of connection. Um, yeah. If you've come to that decision, and I, I don't know, I don't really don't know what the NFL and I have other measures that should be changed, but that's my that's my initial take. Very well said, Kendall. The Giants uh, they came out the statement the allegations that the Giants decision have been made prior to Friday evening, January twenty eighth, is false, and to base that allegation on a text exchange with Bill Belichick in which he. Ultimately, states that he thinks Brian Dayball would get the job is irresponsible. That text exchange occurred the day before Dayball's in-person interview even took place. Giants ownership would never hire a coach based only on a 20-minute Zoom interview, which is all that Mr. Dayball had had at that point. In addition, Mr. Belichick does not speak for and has no affiliation with the Giants. Mr. Belichick's text exchange provides no insight into what actually transpired during our head coaching search. Um... That's that's uh that's nice I guess they're saying that it was Friday that they uh, Friday evening that they came to the decision that they were gonna go with Dayball um 
Brian Flores came in uh, on the 27th uh, of January. So what was that? That was last Thursday. You know, if the guy really knocked your sauce off, you're telling me, you know, you decided next day, now nah, we're going with the other guy. Maybe. I mean, it's not implausible, I suppose. It's a little bit right. of a tight. It's a little bit of a tight time period that they're trying to make me believe there. But I, I think so. One of the topics, and of course, you know, me living in New York City, plus in New York City, you know, the Giants have been raked over the coals for this for a little bit. You know, this is a team that has never uh, had a black head coach. They did have a, a black executive in Jerry Reese, who was the general manager for a long time. Of course, he was unceremoniously fired as a general manager, uh, despite winning two Super Bowls. Meanwhile, the 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 um the the, the court gesture that they had as a GM uh, the last few years, uh, uh, I can't even remember the guy's name now. Gettleman, uh, yeah. Uh, he you know he he got to you know he got he got a he got a he got a farewell tour, you know. Um, apparently they didn't love Jerry Reese like that. You know he they didn't they didn't think he was Kobe, uh, but but apparently uh, Dave Gettleman who was a disaster as a general manager for the Giants somehow he he was Kobe. Cause he got to bring his family out in the field, take pictures with everybody, pray around the stadium, even though he ran the team into the ground. Uh, Jerry Reese was not offered that opportunity to uh, to say goodbye. He was, uh, again, unceremoniously fired for his role, which was to bring Giants two Super Bowl rings in 10 years. Um, but the Giants never had, like Jerry Reese, black executive, never had a, a black head coach in their history. It wasn't until Geno Smith made a start, I think, the last year, a couple of years ago, they never had a black quarterback, which that was stunning to me. That was actually, I think, a little more explainable than a than the coaching situation, because they had a weird situation. Eli Manning was their quarterback for like twenty years or some you know some crazy long amount of time, and prior to that, black quarterbacks were discriminated against, so we weren't having a lot of black quarterbacks. So that seemed a little more. I mean, not to say that the discrimination before was good or fair, but that seemed a little more explainable that the Giants were kind of just like everybody else, and they ran to a franchise quarterback who didn't have the job forever, who never missed a game. That you know that maybe you can believe a little bit, but the coaching thing a little. Considering the busters they've had as coaches, because they've had busters, Shermer, um, McAdoo, uh, the guy that Joe Judge. I mean, come on now, they've had busters as head coaches, and you're like, you know, you couldn't get no black dude in there at all, not at all. You know, it looks a little suspect. So they've been raked over the coals for this for a little bit, and you know, there there been people trying to make their defenses for the New York Giants. You know, shout out Tiki Barber. He he was very adamant. He doesn't believe that the Mara family and the Giants organization are racist, and um, and you gotta respect. You have to acknowledge and respect the perspective of people who are on the inside who do know these people. I don't like when people say, "Oh, well, you're irrelevant because you know you're not pushing my agenda." That's not fair. You know that doesn't negate these people's experiences because they you might not have the perspective or the, the the same opinion that you have, especially if they have a, a knowledge, an educated uh, opinion. What I will say is. What frustrates me about this conversation around the Giants and some of the, the bail people trying to shoot them is what I, what I see often, Kendall, is this this impetus and this, like, immediate thing to be like, okay, you know, Brian Dayball sues the Giants. Wait, wait, it's not racist. You can't say they're racist. Don't say they're racist. Don't say they're racist. That's, you can't do that. That's unfair. That's one of the worst things you can call somebody. That's, that's like, we got to stop and hold the phone before we, we damage this. You know, multi-billion dollar company where the owner is a billionaire. He's owned the team. He's inherited the team from his dad. And, uh, you know, like we got to protect that. Got to protect that. But these 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 black men who keep not getting job opportunities, who keep going through sham interviews, who keep being embarrassed because of the system in the NFL, they're secondary. 
to some of these folks who want to jump to the Giants' conclusion. Do I think the Giants organization is a racist organization? No, I don't think they're a racist organization in the flagrant term of like we don't want to hire a black coach and blah blah blah. There's no. racist. There's there's racist. There's institutionalized racism and there's systemic racism within the NFL that the Giants perpetuate, just like a lot of these NFL teams. You know what I'm saying? That that is a fact. That's because we see that they no black head coaches right now. Besides one in the NFL, Giants have had none ever, and this is a a, 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 a result of a systemic problem with the league. But what annoys me is this this race to be like, oh, we we must protect John Mara. Why? Why must we protect John Mara right now? He he has not done a good job as the owner. He is not hiring no black head coaches, and. You know, people have their opinion for, of why. And it's up to him to show us that he's not what me, people are alleging for him to be. But I, I guess the, what frustrates me is, like, the, the impetus when we see a clear injustice, which is that a league that's 70% black, most of the players are black. And, by the way, Kendall, as you've seen, because you've been inside NFL circles, the, the staff, there are black people on the staff. It's not like, oh, the whole staff is white, so we ain't got no people to hire from. Like, yeah. There are people, and that's what Brian Flores said in, in a lot of his interviews he's been doing recently, is that, you know, plenty of coaches on my staff that I know will be great head coaches and it can lead, you know, franchises. Like, there are black people they can hire, but they're yes. not being put in the position to be desirable, quote-unquote, or they're not just beat flat just not getting an opportunity. And... When we, 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 we race to say, oh, but let's really make sure we, we're being very careful and kick gloves about how we describe what the Giants are doing and not aggressive in trying to stop the issue of this in, in, it is inequity and this discrimination that we're seeing with minority coaches in the NFL not getting opportunities. It tells me that you're not you don't take this this problem seriously. It tells me that you just think that. Yeah, well, it happens. I mean, it's it sucks, but I mean, what are you gonna do? That's the that's the energy I get when I see this, when I see this, this attitude that we have to run and I mean, bear hug the Maris and bear hug Stephen Ross and bear hug John Elway from you know allegations of racism because that's the most important thing. No, the, the most important thing. Those men will be fine. Trust me. <laughs> those men, <laughs> those men are very wealthy. Those men are in a good position. So. They will be fine. The issue is these men who aren't as wealthy, who aren't as in a situation where they can be touched. Like Brian Flores had to put his career on the line to, to raise an issue. Just like Kaepernick had to put his career on the line to raise what an I, important what, issue. And the it, fact that we're so afraid and we feel like we got a bear hug. I'm not saying, oh, throw them throw them overboard. Now, I'm about to throw Stephen Ross on the overboard for sure. But I'm not saying everybody needs to just throw everybody overboard and that's all we care about. But this idea that no, no, we got to bear hug these people first before we even think about actually stopping something that's been an issue for 30, 40 years. Brian, John Mara having issues like, oh, you know, your organization looks suspect. It looks kind of racist to me. It's something that, like, you know, maybe a few people were talking about, but that's not something that, like, was a basic thing that people, that wasn't a basic belief. People, A lot of people didn't know the Giants never had a black coach until this whole thing happened. Like, this is, that's not, that's a, this is a new thing for John Mara. He just, he's dealing with this literally this week. As an actual kind of crisis. Brian Flores and some of these men that have been in the NFL circles for 20 years, 15 years, 10 years, however long. Something like 30, 40 years. They've been dealing with this for their entire professional careers. With what nobody I, looking else? out for them. So I'm what saying else? let's keep the energy where it needs to be. And I'm, I'm not go, going here and coming on this podcast to bear hug 
John Mayer from racism allegations. That's not happening over here. Sorry. And what I think's the what I think's the biggest issue because I, honestly I think the 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 it's clear obviously that there is there's an issue obviously with there being one one black coach in, in Mike Tomlin in the in the NFL currently. Um, and I think what people jump to is how do we fix things and. You know, look, I, I think getting rid of the Rooney rule doesn't it doesn't fix anything. It just gets rid of the, the humiliation aspect, right. takes away the the cover that these teams have. Uh, you know, if you're going to be serious about diversity, then you shouldn't need uh, you shouldn't need this. <laughs> you know, and if you're not, then we'll see who's, who's about it and who's not. But um, but in terms of how do you do fix it? Um, that's a harder conversation to, to have. Um you know, I've seen people talk about ownership, and while I think there there being minority ownership in the NFL uh, is important, um, I don't think that. I mean, unless you know we get five, six, seven, eight, nine in there, you know, like if the Broncos today were bought by a black owner, you know, I don't know how much that's going to individually change. Uh, it, it would certainly help because it would get. It would change the dynamics of the the ownership, you know, contingent in the NFL, and you know, it's be a little bit more of a familiarity aspect if you get a if you get a minority owner in in there or, or a black the owner day, in there. It's still just one guy, or one but it's still woman. just one guy, it's exactly. One person, you know. And so, to me, I and, think and it's like it's like it's going to be on their burden to make sure they hire black people because exactly they that's the only not black that's not owner right. or the owner. Like that's that's not it. That's that's corny as well. Yeah. So I, what I. What I think needs to happen, um, that I think would, I won't say it would dramatically or, or drastically change things, but I think it would be a strong step towards promoting diversity and inclusion at the coaching level, mm-hmm. is I don't think owners should be involved in these coaching hires. Um, I don't think owners should be involved heavily in these coaching searches. I, I think... Interesting. So you think you know, that you think that the you think the coaching search and process should really be something that's only done by football personnel, by and, football operations. And, yeah, and then and then a recommendation would then be made by yes. football operations. This is who we believe you should hire, and yes. you know they tell the you. The owner signs off on it, and and and, and I, I, I do think for me, I think the owner should needs to have some flexibility to say I don't feel that for whatever reason. Yes, just go and drop. But, yeah, but, 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 but I feel, but I, I think that that's not a that's not a. That I, I see where you're going. And that, that, that recommendation can be given to the NFL, can be vetted, you know, and if they're, again, it sounds, it sounds to similar it down, to, I don't know if you remember, Ken, it sounds similar to how when Magic Johnson got fired from the Lakers, it sounds similar to how uh, Rob Palenka was trying to explain what the power archy, power, you know, power archy, Jesus, the hierarchy yeah. <laughs> or the power structure, I had combined two terms, where it was with the Lakers once Magic got fired. They're like, how does this even work? Because, um, like, you're not a president and... Like what's going on? So he was like, "I'm, I make backroom recommendations, and then I send them to Jeannie, and then Jeannie then signs off on the recommendation whether she wants to do it or not." I think the Knicks kind of had a similar deal when it came to like dealing with people like KP, you know, in terms of getting the ownership. And, and that, and that's the thing and about maybe that's maybe that has maybe you know that's that the has thing about and that's 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 my NFL that's my well. crux is that when you look at other sports, particularly and the NBA is the clearest one because people look at the NBA and say, "Well, look, there's 14 black coaches in the NBA out of 30 teams." And that's a that's let's be honest that's a recent that's a recent occurrence. There was a yeah. time in which the NBA not too long ago had a similar issue, but 
Um, but there are now 14 black coaches and we're doing really well right now with the NBA and there's only one black owner. What's going on? Owners aren't that involved in that in the NBA. I don't think owners care that much besides a select few who the coach is and they leave that up to whoever's running basketball operations. When you look at the Knicks, like James Dolan isn't heavily involved in hiring the head coach of, of the New York Knicks. Does he know who the person is? Of course. Right. Does he probably meet with the person? He definitely meets with them, yeah. You know, of course those things happen. But the person who's in charge of making those decisions is whoever's running basketball operations. Right. And in the NFL, it's a stark difference. It where is. You're right about that. The owners, I mean, we look at what was going on with Minnesota Vikings coaching search. It seemed like the, the Wilfs really wanted Jim Harbaugh and the Wills were making their power play for Jim Harbaugh. And when we hear about the Raiders coaching search now, the Raiders also had a general manager coaching search. So that's a little bit different, but still when you look, when you hear about the Raiders, what we hear Mark Davis really wanted Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler uh, combined. He didn't hire a GM who then hired the head coach. Um, right. We look at the giant situation, obviously, uh, Joe Shane was hired before Brian Dayball, but it seems as if they may have been a package deal. Those like that shouldn't that shouldn't happen, you know. And again, if it wasn't a package deal, then that's fine, I guess. But regardless, you know, it, look if if and I'm not saying owners are forced to not be involved. If Jerry Jones wants to be the GM, right? If he, he wants if to he, run. If he's part of football operations, then he should be involved. Yeah, that's fine. You know, but we can't have people that aren't football people making these decisions. Because that's yeah, like, 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 yeah, like John Mara, like he's not, he's not, he's not he, a football person, right? He knows football his, to a degree, yeah. but he's not an expert. He's not. I mean, it's no different than you and me. Let's be honest. NFL head coaches, nobody knows what the secret sauce is. No, because they keep firing seven every. New everybody year. keeps getting. <laughs> everyone's bad at hiring head coaches. So what? What's to make me think that these owners even know what they're talking about? And when we talk about the issue of the lack of black candidates and black head coaches. That's what makes it also egregious. Because if you were saying, well, look at the NFL coaches we have. They're all very exemplary, do a great job. There's not much turnover. So, like, okay, you could say maybe they're not enough black coaches, but at least the guys we hire are successful. The hire, you guys, you guys, the guys you hire regularly are busters. That's the thing. And There's no you know, clear. A lot of guys who keep getting fired every couple of years. Again, it's like a, it's like a groundhog day. Every year, there's going to be about seven new dudes coming in as NFL head coaches. And, like, you can't point to say, well, we've been successful at how we've been doing things. No, you haven't. You've lost a lot of money doing it the way you've been doing it because you keep cycling through new guys every year. The Giants keep getting a new coach every two years. So and that, they don't and know. The they're not doing a good job of getting a leader in the locker room. That's the issue. Like the head coach. It's too subjective and too impossible. I mean, it's like, it's like drafting it's, it's, or scouting. It's, it's, too, it's too subjective terms of really figuring out who is because you're trying to predict anytime you're trying to predict you're 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 going off your gut you're going off of no real you know you're just hoping you're hoping for the best essentially and when we're talking about because again people talk about oh well do you know you know nfl you know nfl owners do i think nfl owners go into coaching searches saying i want a white coach i don't know probably not most of them but what I will say is that when these conversations of hiring a head coach are so close, the difference between Brian Dayball and Brian Flores, I don't know. 
either one of them could 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 win a Super Bowl or flame out in three years. It's very possible. But I think the problem. I think, I think nine what, times what, out of yeah, ten is nine times out of ten the tie the tie is going to go to the white guy, and that's, that's what we've seen. Yeah, and that's the issue. And I think it's, also you know, the issue being that you know these guys who do have head coaching experience and some level of success. Like, you know, I, I think that, you know, and, I, you know, you, you call a Brian Flores Dayball thing a toss-up. I think to Brian Flores, he would find that to be insulting. He's like, wait a minute, I have been a head coach in the NFL. I have, you know, I know he wasn't, it was like a, he was a de facto coordinator in New England, but I was essentially, the, I was the defensive play caller for a team that won a Super Bowl. Like, Brian Dayball, you know, has has been around Belichick, and he, he did agree, he's done a great job with Buffalo Austin. No one can argue that. Uh, he he won national champion in college. That's yes. great as I've OC. We got, can't forget that. But still, college. I think for him, he's like I've done it at the biggest stage, at the highest level, being a head coach and winning, being a coordinator, pseudo, and winning a Super Bowl. And here, I'm being told, and Dave is a very good candidate. I think both of us agree he's a good candidate. But it's yes. like for him, he's just like this guy's never. You're, you're hiring him to do something he's never done before. He's never been a head coach. You're telling me that not only am I not equal, that I don't even deserve a shot at the job against a guy who's never done this before. And that's, I think, where the insulting and the discriminatory part in, in Flores is had and for a lot of these black coaches come from. You know, I heard, uh, you know, Marvin Lewis on, on, on first take talking about the experience of, of going into some of these head coaching situations and, and being a guy who's coached in the NFL for 20 years. Like that, that should mean something. Yes. <laughs> like being a head coach and actually having some levels of success, we, we all can agree. Brian, you know, it wasn't perfect for Marvin in, in Cincinnati at all. We can all agree it wasn't perfect for Brian in, in Miami. I think we all think he did a damn good job, but it wasn't perfect. Like, but the idea that the and I, I, I'm gonna get to in the next topic, the idea that the unknown commodity in the NFL right now is more valuable than the known commodity, and, and that's what's sad about the, and, the and, and it hurts the, and it seems to hurt the, the black coaches more. Yeah, yeah, than the white coaches. That, that's what that's what's sad about the Miami Dolphin thing that we're gonna get to. Like, yes, let's get let's get to it. The the reason Brian Flores didn't get this giant this Giants job is because that Miami Dolphins team in year one was so handcuffed by management and encouraged to lose by management, upper management, and ownership. Like the bad part of his record, for the most part, is that first season. You know, like, and if that first season they were encouraged to win, it would be, you know, we would look at him a lot differently than as a head yeah, coach. I mean, he probably still have three, a job, but he three doesn't winning, have a three job. winning seasons, it's hard to deny. I mean, even yeah. with a guy with Dave Ball's strength, you'd be like, man, you really passed up on a guy with three winning seasons at a hapless job <laughs> in the NFL? Like, that's pretty impressive. It, it, exactly. And so instead, we, we look at it and we say, oh, look, I mean, you know, he had two seasons where he was solid. And then, uh, you know, the first season, I mean, what what, what happened there? Oh well, I mean the owner was offering him bonuses to lose games, so. But yeah, let's, 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 that, let's that, 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 yeah, because to me, this whole part is the most egregious part. The giant stuff yeah, is yeah, like sure. a, it's kind of like a tie goes to the runner deal. It's like, you know, we see that stuff was messed up. Doesn't mean the Giants are racist, and you know that might be hard to say because all these teams are doing it, and you know they clearly got a GM who liked the guy who he worked with. It's it's a lot more, you know. It's, it's some things. It's a lot more nuanced. I think we can say, you know. Um, yes. I think I think everybody can agree you shouldn't have guys going on sham interviews. That's messed up. That I think we all agree with. Anything beyond that, I think, is more 
muddied, which is why we've seen different opinions. Like as I mentioned earlier, and I don't think that any opinion is like invalid, you know, for people who are close to the Giants and want to defend them. But I think with the Miami situation is different because that's one of the issues that that was striking to me, Kendall, with the Dolphins. Because in my opinion, Stephen Ross should be removed as a Dolphins owner. He can't he can't be the Dolphins owner anymore, in my opinion. He can't own a national football team. Because number one, this is essentially fixing games. That's yes. what that's what this is. Yeah, it's match fixing. When you're telling your coach, I will give you more money to lose games, that's fixing games. I don't care what your reasoning is. I don't care if it's oh I want a high draft pick or I want whatever. Like you're fixing the games for your own game. And you're willing to pay money. I don't know if this would have been. I mean, what I assume, and Hugh Jackson kind of talked about it a little bit. He said, "Oh, I was paid to lose games too." Like you know, he said, "Oh, I was getting these weird incentives that I didn't think made sense because they all were incentives that were based on us not performing well." Like, oh, you got this higher draft pick, or you got more draft picks because of how things worked. He's like, "This isn't the kind of thing you should be getting money for." Which is, you know, interesting. And, and look, let's be honest. That's you know, a, that from a legal standpoint, that is a much smarter way of incentivizing losing yeah yeah i mean yeah look man shout out to jimmy haslam man he, if he was doing that he was crossing his t's dotting his eyes because that's yeah. a little hard to be like well i don't know i mean maybe they were they were pleased that you know you got more draft picks and whatever like you know it's hard a little harder Optimi- than... we're optimizing asset acquisition <laughs> right yeah that's a lot more there's a legalese uh, uh <laughs> outlet there for them to, to shoot themselves some bail not so much uh here i'm on a yacht and here's a hundred thousand to lose to lose a game um this is fixing games. You can't you can't have this. You can't have this on any level. You can't have this, especially when you have Stephen Ross, who has invested in the Action Network, which is a gambling <laughs> uh, consulting startup. startup website. Now, people make, and to be clear, you can't go and gamble on the Action Network, which is important. I think, it's, you know, because people say, oh, you can't just say he's done a gambling website. It's not like he owns FanDuel. That is fair. That is fair. I want to be fair to everybody. But still, you can't have an owner. In the business invested in the gambling sports gambling business i don't know why that's allowed i'm like why is he allowed to do that as a nfl owner that doesn't make any sense to me but yeah. whatever and pete rose can't get in the damn hall of fame again i don't even want to get into what happened we talked about last week all that hall of fame stuff but you can't have an owner one just do this period but then also be involved with a gambling uh a gambling website that gives people advice on how to sports bet and just people, beyond what are we talking about Beyond him, I mean, look, he's the NFL has partnerships with FanDuel and DraftKings Facts, and all the yeah. different places, Caesar Sportsbook, like, and I mean, the NFL is Stephen Ross to a degree, and yes, we've got absolutely. NFL owners, like, and again, if if they don't nip this in the bud, then then this just becomes this opens up the floodgates and creates a precedent that this is okay. You can't have NFL owners who are handing out a hundred thousand dollar bonuses, any bonuses. To in to to tell telling his team or his coaches to lose games that creates an incredible conflict of interest and you know when you look at the the the, the when you look at the, the the sanctity of these games and the integrity of these games if Brian Flores went out there and was like was trying to collect those those bonuses you know would he what what happens if it's third. It's it's fourth and fifteen, from 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 their own twenty five. And he's like, you know, what? we're gonna go for it. Yeah. And he's just doing crazy Madden stuff. And people are like, what is he doing? Oh, he's trying to and get he, that. And you gotta think about the player safety aspect. He could be making decisions that are putting his players at risk 
because he's trying to to do a, a, a make having a result that isn't in, yeah he's taking a dive involved with winning you know yeah. putting guys out there that are aren't aren't necessarily ready to go maybe a little gimpy putting yeah. guys out there that aren't ready to play because of you know they're just not ready to play putting them out there yeah. in the wolves like there's things that he could be doing this is that you making that be actually impacting the the livelihoods of these young men who are going out there and risking their safety to go out there and then and then and, and then again you're 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 affecting because what ha- you're affecting the, the the integrity of the entire league. I mean, let's 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 go beyond, you know, the outcry. Because again, tanking. I I personally have no problem with tanking in general. Um, I you know, in terms of from the team perspective, as a fan, you don't like it. Uh, like just a fan of the league, the sport. Right. It's not what the game is meant for. But I don't see why a team can't do it if they're doing it in ways that. Aren't I mean, the extreme. Like, like I said in the top, tanking has always happened. Re- right. When we say a team is rebuilding, that's tanking. It's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. A team starting, I mean, we have what, this what team that's not that good and we need did. to start over. That is tanking. You're just saying we're going to take steps back to go steps forward. What the Philadelphia Eagles did in 2020 against the Washington football team was tanking when they benched Jalen Hurts in week right. 17. Yeah. And decided we're, we're going to put in Nate Subfell and try and lose this yeah, game. Yeah, they weren't good. They weren't putting the best team out there to that, win that, that was tank weekend. Job. Of course, I don't think Jeffrey Laurie was giving out a hundred thousand dollar checks. Of course, to congratulate his team on doing a great job in purposely losing the game. I don't think Doug Peterson, who was very upset about that whole situation, was getting a one hundred thousand dollar check to to cover his losses. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but that that that, that doesn't look doesn't look like that's what happened. And so. There's ways you can go about it where I don't have a problem with it. You know, if, you, if again rebuilding, if you want to say, yeah, we're gonna go with the young guy instead of the instead of the the the, the older guy, that's fine. If if you if you know your team if you know your team's not gonna be that good, that's fine. What the Oklahoma City Thunder are, th- are doing in the NBA right now is 100% tanking, but it's allowed when you start yeah, handing out money to incentivize losing games as the owner. That is a that is a worm the NFL does not want to deal with when it comes to their involvement in, in in sports gambling companies. And when you deal with when you come to a black coach, what we already know the opportunities for black coaches are few and far between, and they're getting their first head coaching job, and you're telling them, "Yo, lose some of these games, fam. I'll give you some extra money to lose some of these games." We know NFL head coaching careers, very short kind of careers. This is not something where you can say, Yo, I'm going to be an NFL coach. I'm going to do this for 20, 30 years. That don't happen. Like, it's very, very rare. You're talking about, you know, a lot of these times it's, it's, you know, your first go around and you might not even get a second go around. You know, maybe you'll get a second go around as a head coach. And, and it's not my head coach. You know, you can get fired and be a coordinator or assistant somewhere. But in terms of being a head coach in the NFL, very short kind of quote unquote lifespan of, of the job. You're telling, and, and the only way we really can base your performance is on your record. Bill Bell, Bill Parcells always said it best. You are what your record says you are. I always believe in that mantra. And it's how a lot of these franchises and how us in the media and everyone who follows the game tried to judge how a coach is doing. And you're telling a black coach who may not get a second opportunity or, or a black coach who we see black coaches are more likely to be let go earlier than their white counterparts. You tell them the only way we can base your anybody on the outside of this organization can base a, your performance level is through this metric wins and losses. You're telling you tank your own metric 
that shows that you're a competent person in your position. And I'll give you extra money. That's enti- that, That's highly problematic. Not only does it give the team cover to then when they decide, for whatever reason, they want to move on from him, they can just point to that record. The record that you're paying them extra money to get. You say, oh, look, he was he was 6-35. I mean, what do you want me to do? And what are the fans going to say? They, we can say, oh, man, you gave the black guy, you know, you didn't give him the right shot. You didn't get, he got a wrong shake. This wasn't, this This wasn't, this was, this was messed up. They, oh, man, he was, he was 5-22. and 22. I mean, I had to let him go. And a lot of times, for a lot of fans, black and white, and all agrees, they say, oh, look, man, I, I understand, but, like, look at his record. Like, they weren't performing. What do you want me to do? And if he takes but, the money, he can't, he can't, he can't admit it. Yeah, he can't go and say, oh, I took money to lose games. Now his career is definitely over. Yes. That's the part of this lawsuit. That's why I said that, that I'm throwing I'm throwing Ross over. I'm throwing him overboard. Yes. I'm throwing him, and, I'm throwing him overboard. Could. I'm throwing him off his yacht. Tom Brady, I guess, can stay on the yacht. He's fine. But Ross, is th- I'm throwing him overboard. It, it's no- I mean, the yacht story, I mean, man, shout out to Brian Flores because he knows. If I have that meeting with Brady... And and also, found I out, could be. I, I'm. I'm. My career is over. <laughs> my career is over. Ross isn't gonna get. He's not gonna no. have to sell the team. They'll get. A, or they'll even get if he a, does, he's still a billionaire. And, and, and they'll give him a slap on the wrist. They'll give him a fine. Say tampering. Twenty two. You know, two hundred thousand dollars. Right. And that's it. But Flores would be out of a job. He'd be out of league. So, again, I mean, yeah. And then, so to resent the guy for not going through with those illegal actions. And then so you fire him, man. And it's it's to me it's 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 just foolish. And it's tough because when we hear the reasoning being he didn't want to play ball, he didn't work well with others, stuff that again you hear about black folks when people try to explain why they had to move on from them in any job field. It's not just NFL head coaches. When you hear about that, then you see well this is what playing ball meant for Stephen Ross allegedly. It meant. Yo, man, I'm 10 toes down trying to win you a Super Bowl. Yeah, that's good and all. Have you ever been to Fiji? Go to Fiji. Don't worry about studying that film. Don't worry about going uh, going down to college, you know, this college team to scout this quarterback. Don't worry about that. You don't need to worry about that right now. Have you visited, uh, have you visited the, 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 the Colorado Rocky Mountains? It's beautiful during this time of year. You've been to Aspen? Gorgeous. February. Put put that playbook down. We don't need that. What are we talking about here? This is this is <laughs> this is crazy. The NFL statement, Kendall. I think the last thing we could say on this um, before we move on. NFL statement on Brian Flores' suit. Quote: The NFL and our clubs are deeply committed to ensuring equitable employment practices and continue to make progress in providing equitable opportunities throughout our organizations. I laugh because I, I can't wait to talk about this. Diversity is core to everything we do. And there are a few issues on which our clubs and our internal leadership team spend more time. We will defend against these claims, which are without merit. That is the craziest statement I think I've ever heard from the NFL, which is putting the bar pretty low. They said, what is it here? Equitable employment practices continue to, and uh, we're deeply committed to ensuring equitable employment practices. That's just not true. That's not true. You have one black head coach. What are you talking about? There's nothing you can point to that suggests that that is happening. 
continue to make progress in providing equitable opportunities throughout our organizations. Again, that's not true. The numbers are getting worse since the Rooney Rule was put into place. Diversity is core to everything. These are just words. Like, they're just saying things without... They can't prove anything in this statement to be accurate. Anything. And then they say the claims are without merit. They didn't even investigate. You don't even you didn't even talk to Stephen Ross, say, yo, fam, what happened with this yacht? You didn't do any investigation. You were investigating deflated footballs. You were investigating whether coaches were taking Vicodin. You were investigating whether players were getting money to take out people's ACLs. That was important. You should have. Black man says, yo, I had a sham interview and the dude told me to lose games on purpose. Five minutes later, eh, now no merit. No, we don't need to investigate. No merit. No way. Not true. Sorry. It's ridiculous. Sicko mode, man. This is sicko mode. And it's tough because I talked, I started this show talking about how much the strength of the shield was shown in last Sunday's performances. And the enjoyment and the and the pride that we saw from communities and fan bases around America, and sports at the end of the day is always supposed to be the ultimate unifier. And when you see these things allegedly go on behind the closed doors, and then when you see the disposition, the dismissiveness of the league when presented with real concerns about how their racial discrepancy when it comes to NFL head coaches is problematic to them they say to you no merit sorry no merit like it, it, that's the thing it's tough the, 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 again i go go back to the last thing i go back to the rooney rule there's no like again sham interviews are a thing that that exists in every in every uh industry um but they're a lot harder to prove in the nfl they're a lot harder to prove in the nba or in, in most walks of life, uh, because they're not bound by a quota, uh, um, at least not one that we know about. Mm-hmm. Um, but the NFL, they have a very, very public quota that they have to reach in terms of interviews. And again, it's it's humiliating to to yeah. a lot of people. And I get it. My yeah. It it it, it opened it opened the door for a lot of people, and that's great. But it's outdated. It's, 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 it's tough, Kendall, because I, what, the last thing I want to say on this is when we think about the Rooney Rule and, you know, you did a great job explaining it, and the background behind it is, you know, it's named after Dan Rooney, former uh, late owner, I would say, not former, late owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, who he was kind of in charge of trying to figure out how do we diversify NFL head coaching hires. Because if you remember, Bill Cowher retired the NFL uh he was um you know great head coach with Pittsburgh Steelers for a long time he retired and was trying to get the year so forgive me for kind of stumbling uh rambling a little bit here but he, he was a great head coach he retired in 2006 in 2006 season he, he he retired and if you remember Kendall and I think people who will uh who remember that fondly because there still was very few coaching searches they had the same three coaches for like 60 years it's like it's unprecedented uh, the, how this uh, this has gone down. The, the, the he had a very strong staff, you know, um, 
you know, Dick LeBeau. I forgot who the OC was. Oh, Ken Wisenhunt. Um, uh, uh, the offensive line coach. I can't remember his name. But NFL Russ Hall of Famer. Russ Grimm. Thank you. Like, he was the he was the guy. He was the guy. They thought he but, was the next guy. Right. He was Pittsburgh the guy. Pittsburgh legend. Went to Pitt. Played for the Steelers. Yes. He was the guy. And 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 they had a, they 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 had this this crazy this this crazy staff. It was like yo, one of you, it was like the battle for the cow for Batman. It's like yo, someone who's gonna take the cow? Like they they clearly got somebody in house who's gonna do it. It was a very high profile coach. So again, they had, there was a third coach they were gonna have in like fifty years. And James Rooney also was involved with institution of the Rooney Rule, which Art Rooney, right? Well, no, it was Dan. No, Art was dead at this point. You know, R.I.P. Um, oh, okay. Dan Rooney was 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 involved at this point in time. Right, right, right. And I mean, maybe he named after his dad, but I know this was like something that he 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 was involved with. Um, because he had worked with you know various different you know Tony Dungy, Dennis Green, Johnny Cochran. Yes. You know, they they all came together to figure out you know well, how do we how do we come up with something. Uh, and they came up uh, with this rule. It came out essentially. Um, Around the same time, at the start of the 2006 season, which I believe I just said was the time that Bill Cowher retired. And what was so astonishing about this situation is they went through all these interviews, and Dan Rooney said himself, you know, we had an extremely strong staff. And, you know, the expectation was one of these dudes is going to get this job. But through this rule that they put into place and through, you know, having the taking the wherewithal to really do their due diligence – they were like, yo, this this young defensive coordinator in Minnesota, Mike Tomlin, Minnesota doing some interesting things defensively. Let's bring him in. Let's see what he's got. Let's I want to hear what he's got to say. I want to hear what his vision is for this program. And as they say, the rest was history. You know, Mike Tomlin was not like unknown guy. He was a good head coaching candidate during that time. People were talking about him. But for that job, he definitely seemed like a very big underdog, not just because he was black, but because there were truly very qualified, excellent candidates within house. And the expectation was still had to keep things in the family. And they went outside the family and see like Pittsburgh and brought this black dude in here. And they said, no, we're going to make him the head coach because we feel like he's the best man. And Rune, Dan Rooney said it a bunch of times. He said, this is why this rule is important in my eyes, because. Mike Tom may have never ever gotten into this building. And he might not have gotten the opportunity. But you know what? I had gave him a real interview. I really was impressed. And he, because of this opportunity, earned this job. He won us over. So it's sick to me that the man who passed away just recently was a great legacy in the NFL. He helped establish this Rooney Rule in the sense of trying to do some good. And spoke about how one of the greatest coaches we have in NFL history, the only guy to start his career the first like 17 seasons and never have a losing record. That he's the foundation of the Rooney Rule. He's like the the, the, the gold standard of the Rooney Rule. Dan Rooney and, and Mike Tomlin. And it started through a story where somebody who was he was an underdog that people didn't have a shot, but they gave him a real interview. He came in there, knocked the sauce off, and he got the job. And look what he's done. Look at the success he's had. Super Bowl wins. Winning seasons, Hall of Fame career for Mike Tomlin. I, I think initially and then, it worked, and and the thing and the thing, Kendall, that this rule has been uh, uh, manipulated 
and been perverted to now have what we what we allegedly had with, with, with Flores and many of these other young young black men, old even older black men who are getting these opportunities for interview where they're not getting that opportunity Mike Tomlin had. They don't have the guy who has the, the, the trying to change hearts and minds of Dan Rooney where he's going to give these young black men a chance. They're going in front of people that are just like, yeah, yeah, it's all well and good. I got to go to the golf. I got to go to the golf course, or I just had a I had a night out at the bar last night. Can we wrap this thing up? That's what they're getting. They're not trying to see if there's some people out there that maybe they they were overlooking. They're not trying to discover the new the newest thing, the new talent, something under the radar. They come in worried with their with their with their predetermined decisions, and in the spirit of something that was supposed to be so excellent and something that was so. That, that worked out so well, literally, for the team that started this. This is what it's become. I just think that's sad. I think that was important to, to point out. Staying on that note a little bit. No, we're, we're going to shift focus here. I want to talk about the NFL coaching cycle. As we were doing this podcast, we had a new head coaching hire. We're going to break, uh, go through them all real quick. So you got newest head coach now of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Guy you're a little familiar with, Kendall. Former head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, Doug Peterson. Uh, Former colleague. <laughs> we'll spend a little time there in Philly. Uh, Doug Peterson, former head coach, Super Bowl winning head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, now head coach of Jacksonville Jaguars, according to multiple reports as we record this podcast. Sure, it'll be confirmed maybe by the time you listen or soon enough. Other head coaching hires we had Matt Eberflus, Colts defensive coordinator, goes to Chicago. Josh McDaniels, longtime Patriots OC, former Denver Broncos head coach, goes to the Raiders. Kendall mentioned that earlier. Your Minnesota Vikings, Kendall, had a very weird and situ- weird situation with your coaching search. Kevin O'Connell, Rams OC, expected to be the guy there in, in Minnesota. You mentioned Brian Dayball, Bills OC, going to the Giants. Nathaniel Hackett, Packers OC, going to the Broncos. Job still open right now at this moment in time. Dolphins, they're a clown show. I don't think anybody knows what the hell they're doing. Um, and they have maybe bigger fish, no pun intended, bigger fish to fry right now. Uh, the Saints, which is very curious because Brian Flores is actually a finalist for that job, along with the Texans job that's also open um, as well. Texans, Josh uh, McCown, another interesting name, guy who's never been a Another colleague. Coach. Well, I wouldn't say yeah, yeah. Another yeah, guy. guy you, yeah, well, yeah I mean, you could say he kind of was. I mean, he's a player. <laughs> but a guy, a guy, you, guy you, you, know, you were around in Philly as well. Yes, um, yes. Is, uh, apparently, if not the leader in the clubhouse, one of the leaders in the clubhouse as we speak in that coaching search. Uh, Saints job seems to be a little more open again. The Dolphins, I don't think anybody knows what the hell's going on with them. So if that's where things have landed. Uh, of these coaches, none of them are black. None of them are POCs. They're all white, for what it's worth. And I think that's important to know at this point because we're going to really talk about, you know, what's the validity of this this class action lawsuit and, you know, how do we, you know, kind of, evaluate you know how the nfl is doing when it comes to hiring uh, practices we gotta keep it above right now these are all white men um but you know moving maybe a little bit off that a little bit you know what sticks out to me kendall is uh besides Eberflus, which is a little bit of an interesting hire in, in, in chicago uh, mcdaniels offensive coach kevin o'connell offensive coach with no play calling experience dabble uh offensive co- coach Hackett, offensive coach, once again, no head coaching experience, no uh, call, play calling experience. And Doug Peterson, former head coach, obviously, he's been a coordinator, but he's won a Super Bowl. But also an offensive coach, for what it's worth. 
It's crazy, man. The the whole uh the whole you know uh uh, uh the Sean McVay kind of conveyor belt as uh, idea and mindset of these NFL co- NFL owners in terms of who they're trying to hire as NFL coaches remains right now, and um it's really funny to me. It's sad in many ways, but in some ways it's kind of funny because they're really just taking a flyer on some of these guys. I thought the meme that you sent me, I think you sent it to me yesterday. Shout out to Jada Kiss, one of my favorite rappers of all time. Uh, we gonna make it one of my favorite hip hop songs of all time. And he's got a line in there that says, "On the reason dudes got got deals these past few years." Yeah, yeah, Sean McVay. Sound ain't sound anything like Kiston sign right here. <laughs> I think when it comes to Sean McVay, as that joke put that that lyric was up and it had Sean McVay's picture there. <laughs> what Sean McVay can say right now, "On the reason dudes got deals these past few years." Sound anything like Sean? Sound right here. That's what I'm seeing. A lot of coaches, they run in some good offenses, some great creative offenses, but guys that necessarily didn't have the most experience, some guys never even called plays. But these coaches, the owners and these general managers have all decided, yo, I just need to get a guy who's kind of like that guy that's working out in L.A. Which is weird because McVay, as of yet, hasn't won a Super Bowl yet. He did get his team Super Bowl twice, so he's been very successful. But it's just like, 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 man, this is this is really how y'all gonna go? Nobody's gonna try to do something different. Like nobody's gonna try to do something more creative. I mean, like the Jacksonville Jaguar situation was weird because you know the word was Leftwich was the leader in the clubhouse, but he was like, "Yo, you gotta get this clown GM out of here if you want me to be your, your head coach." Yeah, and the Jaguars didn't want to do it. And the word today, Kendall, is is that you know people around the Senior Bowl are whispering, "Yo, man." What's the name made a mistake? Not just going along with the Jaguars organization, which is just like laughable to me. The Ooh, idea that someone, yeah, Leftwich. The word that's the word right now. I saw someone reported on uh, Twitter. Apologies to whoever put it out there. That, that the word around the NFL, the people at the Senior Bowl, is that you know Leftwich made a mistake, just like kind of stiff arming the Jaguars like that. And, she just took know, the job. She took the job. And I got tweeted. I was like, Yo, it's crazy, fam. Like what Leftwich, who won a Super Bowl as a coordinator. Also play quarterback in the NFL if that's worth anything, right? <laughs> like he 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 has seen success, looked at the organization and said, "I think the best bet would be to move on from this guy who just hired Urban Meyer." I, I don't know I don't know if he's the the right man moving forward for my vision of this football team. Maybe better have somebody who I don't know knows what the hell they're doing, <laughs> and, and also reportedly wanted Bill O'Brien, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, Bill O'Brien, Bill, Bill O'Brien was a great idea. And Leftwich, or right now, being painted as, I don't know, maybe kind of a malcontent, you know, maybe a little attitude, you know, maybe a little you know, stuck up, like, how dare he? Right. And, and allegations is, meanwhile, you know, Shane and Dayball, you know, they seem to be no problem with Dayball, who never won a Super Bowl, <laughs> never played in the NFL. No problem with him. Coming in a package deal with the general manager that, that he wants, that he, he yep. has familiarity with. Josh McDaniels can get his own guy. He can get his own guy. Josh McDaniels now has coached in the NFL, and he, to his credit, also has won Super Bowl as a coordinator. But, I mean, similar resumes, you know, except for that he's coaching the NFL as a head coach. And he gets his guy. I don't hear people saying, oh, you know, why did he feel like he had to do that? Leftwich said, yo, I think we should get my guy in here. Because even beyond the fact that my guy is good, your guy ain't it. 
everybody knows that. Jaguars fans have been protesting. Yeah. Yeah, they about to be marching in the streets in Duval. And Bluffwood sees what everybody else sees. This organization, fish rots from the head up. And we can't get rid of Shad. And, I, you know, Shad, you're going to cut my check. So I, I'll, I'll take your money. But if we're going to make this work in any way, the guy who's right below you, he can't be here anymore. And apparently they were like, nah, let's, yeah, go, with, look. let's go with someone else. Now, Doug Peterson, I, I know one thing I will say, a lot of coaches, like, I, I'm cool with Doug Peterson getting help. He deserves another head coaching job. I kind of felt yeah, like I mean, the, the man Philly, won a Super Bowl. Yeah, I kind of felt the Philly thing. Like, he, he, he got fired, and it was fine. Like, it was fine to move on. But I, I kind of felt like this runaway thing of, like, oh, this guy's an idiot. He doesn't know how to coach. I'm like, it, he won Super Bowl, like, recently. It wasn't like it was, like, 10 years ago. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. like you know, the guy knows football. I know the game and changes. The, the and the personnel had really fallen apart. And the personnel, yeah, they were they were an old team when he took them to the Super Bowl. Like, we all knew. Like, it was like, if they don't win it this year, like, they don't they don't got really a shot, really. Wentz even with, even with Wentz. Even with Wentz, if he came back healthy, they were an older team on the skill positions and on the line. You know, like they were. Shot and, and, and I mean, yeah. look, it's like he's kind of he's like Frank Reich with a Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Like I think everybody around the league respects Frank Reich as a coach, but you know, the quarterback position didn't really do him a whole lot of favors this year. Um, and I think what <laughs> I think you know, Wentz Wentz is about to get two coaches fired uh, in his career if. We gotta start calling him the coach killer if, if this thing doesn't go know, well right. next season. But yeah, I mean, yeah. Doug, Doug Peterson is is the perfect change of pace from Urban Meyer. One hundred percent. If you're talking about you know Trevor Lawrence and his development, what's the best thing to do? Um, Byron Leftwich would have been very exciting in terms of getting a young hot shot offensive coordinator. Just worked with Tom Brady. Just won a Super Bowl with Tom Brady. Um, it, it there is a measure of risk, and there's a measure of risk in all of these moves. Um, you know, anytime you hire a coach, like I said, they almost never work. But but this seems uh, to be even more risk this year with the fact that these are guys that are like very unknown commodities, with the exception of McDaniel's, Peterson, and Dayball. Yeah, like Kevin O'Connell to Minnesota, like that is just a complete shot in the dark. Yeah, you know? this guy was a like a. I saw his I saw his titles of the jobs he had as as an NFL and as, as a coach. One of them was like like advisor. Like yeah, he's a special like, project coach. Yeah, special projects. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. What the hell is Ironically that? Ironically enough, in in San Francisco with the new GM Quasi Adolfo Mensa. Uh, of course. Uh, so it makes you wonder if those guys work closely uh, at a time. Uh, a special dude, project. A dude, who's, a dude whose role was special projects five years ago is now an NFL head coach. Yeah, he was an elite there's eleven. Some, there's some guys that take twenty uh, years to be in the NFL. He's an, he was an elite eleven coach under under Trent Dilfer, uh, you know, like like right before that, basically, you know. And, to, <laughs> and, and, and shout out to you know O'Connell. He did play in the NFL. He's not like some guy that's just some egghead. Like oh, one hundred percent. You know, he played in the NFL for a decent amount of time. Yeah, for a good know, long, four or five long. years. You know, so so he's not like he knows the game and he played the game. So, but it just that's to me is just still wild though. It's just like it's kinda, yeah, five years ago was special projects. Now he's yeah, a head but that's a shot in the dark. You know, you're saying, look, could he be, could he be McVeigh or could he be? I mean, it's funny, like Zach sounds Taylor. anything like Sean then sign right here. If, if Zach that's Taylor, what's happening in the NFL, if, like Zach Taylor is funny because he would have been, uh, like a year ago, we would have looked at him as like the the worst case scenario, and now <laughs> I still don't know how I feel about Zach Taylor. I think he's 
<laughs> that he's extremely lucky that he's coaching Joe Burrow and, and Jamar Chase right now. But what I will say is, yeah, again, Doug Peterson, perfect, perfect change of pace from Urban Meyer. You're getting a pro's pro in terms of being a head coach, a guy who knows quarterbacks. Uh, he's already already was in the process of developing a young quarterback in, in, in Carson Wentz and did a good job initially um, until things fell apart, injuries and whatnot. Um, complete change of pace from the, the clown show that was the Urban Meyer college thing. Like, again, this guy knows NFL football getting, you know, he's going to, the goal right now, you have to fix Trevor Lawrence. And I hate to say it like that, but that's how, that's how bad that Jacksonville thing went last year on top of like, you know, I mean, there are some people out there that feel like even Lawrence at Clemson, you know, he got. I don't know if he, he regressed a little bit from year one to year three. Yeah, turned over the rows. It was some sloppy play. You know, we saw that even in the in the in the college football playoff. Yeah, you know, it didn't get again. It didn't get illuminated or highlighted as badly because the ACC was so bad. Right. It was like I mean, if you were winning twelve games a year, I can't really say he's gotten that much worse. But you know, he got. I don't again. I won't say exposed, but again, did he regress? You know, or you know, did he, or what? I don't know what happened, but. Right now, he needs to be fixed. He needs to. We need to start seeing some real strides from the guy that we saw, you know, at eighteen, nineteen, winning a national championship. So, you know, that to me is the was the smartest probably hire um, of of these moves. The rest of these, like you said, are all they're all complete shots in the dark. I, I'm not a huge fan of the McDaniel's to to Vegas move. Um, it, to me, it was funny that the Jaguars are considering. Rich Basachi, I, I didn't really get that either, but um, but I don't I, I don't know what Vegas was gonna do. I probably would just give him Basachi another year, um, but I don't know if he would have taken that. He probably would have wanted more security. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, apparently he was a finalist with his Jaguars job before. Uh, yeah, which again, I don't really get it. Um, yeah, you know, he, <laughs> I mean, he did a very good job. I just, you know, that would have been. He's, yeah, he is highly respected in the NFL even before he jumped into this role and not that he was a head coach but like he's been highly respected just in the NFL you're right um so but yeah it, it, that would have been interesting <laughs> I was like this is the guy that's gonna fix Trevor Lawrence yeah, uh like uh okay <laughs> but but yeah no I mean you're 100 right about the trend towards these guys I I do see if you look at because again we talked about how the coaching hires in general don't work um and, you know, I look, I, I think D'Amico Ryan should have gotten more play as a candidate in this cycle. I know the Vikings interviewed him once and he declined the interview for the second time, probably knowing that, you know, Jim Harbaugh and or Kevin O'Connell was going to get the job. And so he was like, I'm not going to waste my time. But um, the job he did in San Francisco as defensive coordinator uh, was was incredible. Oh, so absolutely. I thought. You know, I thought he deserved a lot I mean, of credit. You know, and that's what's you know, you know, shout you know, shout out to Raheem Morris. Like he ain't getting no real looks. Raheem Morris is an interesting case because yes, he is a quote unquote retread, uh as is Josh McDaniels, but he did a better job in his first go around than I think Josh McDaniels did. He won ten games one season. He won ten games. Well like Josh Freeman. <laughs> Josh Freeman is quarterback. Like he really he had, Josh, went, he had Josh Freeman balling, like Josh Freeman was yeah, playing. He, went, he was also super young, just like Josh McDaniels. He's super young when he got his first. Right, that was, it, was, it was 2010. That was a long time ago. 
Well, twenty two thousand nine was his first year. Twenty ten was the year when they went ten, uh, 10 and six. Yeah, um, it, it was it was just strange that 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 he wasn't given. Thirty three years old when he got the head coaching job. Yeah, he was thirty three years old. He won ten games at thirty four <laughs> as a head coach, um, and then and had a bad third year, and they 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 moved on. They I feel like the, at that point the team was in a real transition mode. And yeah, those guys they, quit on him too. From what I remember. Yeah. Uh, so it, Brian Morris is like his track record isn't that bad, you know. To for for me to say like I don't know why you know why where you know why isn't he another why why would we hire him like he he was a very good coach. And uh, this guy has just been twiddling his thumbs since he got fired from the NFL. Like he, he he's yeah. been uh, in the NFL. He coached with the Washington football team. Coach with the Atlanta Falcons, you know, one of those Atlanta Falcons teams that I'm going to the Super Bowl. Like, yes. you know, like, like he wasn't like, oh, this guy was just, you know, he just disappeared and then he just reappeared the Rams just last year and like, oh, like he's been around and then he worked his way back up. To it's also really Rams, interesting that he was a wide coordinator job and yeah, he coached both sides of the ball. Like that, that's that's extremely unique to have a guy who's a uh, who's primarily a defensive coach. And when we talked about Joe Judge a couple of weeks ago. We talked about how one of the things is like, oh, when you're a special teams coach, you know, you coach both sides of the ball in a sense. So there's an idea that, you know, it's kind of a mini test of being an NFL head coach, coaching players who coach, who play multiple positions. Like, you know, Raheem Morris literally did that. He's been yeah. a D-back coach. Game coordinator he's and been a, 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 a pass game coordinator, defensive pass game coordinator. He's been a wide receiver coach. I mean, it's like guys doing it all. And of course, during that time, he was the assistant head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. So I mean, this guy has really been putting in the work even after he got fired, and he didn't get no look. They were going for guys like Eberflus, you know, guys I never, I never heard of. Yeah, no, I mean, the Eberflus one is interesting as well. Not an offensive coach, you would have thought. Yeah, only defensive coach so far. Yeah, you you would have thought that they would have prioritized a, a QB similar, like similar to Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know they went with a defensive guy who then hired a uh, first-time offensive coordinator and Luke Getzey, who's a who's Aaron Rodgers' quarterback coach. To me, that's always a weird thing because I'm like, I think we got to get off that. Like, I need to hire a defensive coach for my quarterback thing because I'm thinking about some of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Like Tom Brady co- played for Bill Belichick, a defensive coach. Like. But what's the name? One Super Bowls. Pretty man won Super Bowl with you know Tony Dungy, and John Fox. Right, right. Defensive coaches. Pete Carroll, you know, he, he coached Russell Wilson. He was right. the one that identified Russell Wilson as a rookie. He said, "Yo, you're gonna be my starter." Mike Tomlin right. with Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, well, first it was Kyle with Ben Roethlisberger, and then it was Mike Tomlin with Ben Roethlisberger. I don't know. If there's this like this obvious like you know success rate to say yeah. a correlation. That's a better word. Say, oh, if you hire an offensive head coach, that means that you're going to get the great play <laughs> right. out of your quarterback. That's not a that, like I've never like I'm not saying that aren't examples. Field, sure people will think yeah, of some, field stole but it. like there, there's some of the greatest examples we have in modern history. Those guys did not play for offensive gurus Fields, as their head coach. Fields talked about how I mean he likes that Eberflus will be able to kind of coach him up on what the defenses are doing, right? Exactly. On a more advanced level. Um, Again, I don't like the the I don't like the coordinator hire. I think if you're gonna hire a defensive coach, I want a more experienced OC. Um, again, Luke Getzey was with the Packers QB coach. I don't really want a guy. 
again, I look, Desi may be great. I don't really, I don't, I don't know, but I can't really say he was responsible for developing Aaron Rodgers. Uh, <laughs> Aaron Rodgers. I can't, I can't say that Dale Hackett was responsible for developing Aaron Rodgers. He got, yeah, he got, I mean, he got not, a damn head coaching job. That's what's crazy about Hackett. When people talk about the enemy, they say, oh, well, look, he, he didn't call plays. Which now uh, he does, by the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they all, well, he didn't call plays. Well, well, Hackett doesn't call plays. Well, oh, well, you know, yeah, I mean, he coaches Mahomes, but, you know, that's all Mahomes. I mean, the day of Hackett coached Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers yeah. was like a Hall of Famer before Hackett. Even step foot in Green Bay, and like, and Aaron Rodgers may have more autonomy on how the offense is going to be run than maybe then not not only Dan, <laughs> that Dan Hackett for sure, but maybe <laughs> any other NFL coach, NFL player. Yes, and I'm including Tom Brady, who went to a different organization. Yes, when a guy like Lafleur comes in to coach Aaron Rodgers, as we've heard many people say, you're not coming in to say, "Yo, Aaron Rodgers, run my offense." You're coming in. Say Aaron Rodgers say, here's the offense you're gonna run, call the right plays. Yeah. And the Dale Hackett, he wasn't even doing that. He wasn't even calling the plays. Nope. He was just doing the game plan and helping the floor out, I guess, during the week. And yeah. then letting them know what he was seeing on the sidelines. And they're like, yo, you're good enough, head coach. Aaron, oh, Aaron Rodgers, he's thinking about retiring, he's thinking about being Joe Rogan's coach. I don't know what he's gonna do. He may maybe Denver. Good enough, head coach. Man, it's hard. It's hard to come up with bail for these NFL organizations for why some of these guys are getting and, and head again, coaching jobs. And it would be it would make sense if these guys Kendall, were having more success. But then when every every year I see seven new names of guys that are getting axed, teams saying, "Yo, this guy was a buster. This guy was a bum. He didn't know what the hell he was doing." I mean, you how many times do these guys get these guys get slandered? For years before they they eventually get rid of these guys, I'm like, yo, how do you then expect me to believe when you hiring guys like this every cycle? Well, you know, and then and then also we get we see guys, we say, oh, it, it, look, I mean, you know, I mean, I you know, we like the guy, you know, we like Leftwich, but you know, I mean, younger guy, you know, give him a cut or D'Amico Ryan for him. <laughs> D'Amico Ryan, oh, it's only his first year as a the DC. He did a great job, but you know, let's give him more time to develop. Yeah. Josh McCown never coach never coaching the NFL. Yeah, Josh McCown. Hey, it don't matter. Or, or 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 Joe Judge. Who was Joe Judge? <laughs> no one knew who Joe Judge was. He was a special teams coordinator. Young guy. Again, shot in the dark, and it didn't work. And and that's the thing is that all of these hires they can be made on the margins because we really don't know about any of these guys. They're all shots in the dark. Even even the guys who seem like slam ducks, slam, slam dunks, you know. And that's the thing about the Vikings with Jim Harbaugh, because that's been a, a topic of a conversation. It would have been cool, obviously, as a Vikings fan. Uh, it's funny you said that you know it was a weird situation. Uh, when was the last time Jim Harbaugh ever had a weird situation? <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, not, this not morning. Uh, you know, yeah, exactly. He's thinking, he's thinking out what he's going to wear today. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, no, I mean that was that was certainly a strange deal uh with, with with that whole deal. But what I think we saw was that these teams, even even with a guy like Jim Harbaugh, who reportedly wanted a Gruden deal of a hundred million dollars, and it seemed like the Vikings at a time were willing to to play ball, and I don't know, for whatever reason Jim Harbaugh balked at the last minute. Um 
like that was not a sure thing. The last time we've seen those guys get those contracts, they ended in the most horrendous scandal that we've yeah. seen from head coaches in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years. Crazy. Urban Meyer, mm. John Gruden. Mm. Those things don't really work. And those are supposed to be, those were the safe ones. Those were the ones who's like, yeah, pay those guys more money. To yeah, those guys, those guys are the hottest commodity. Those guys deserve the most. Money. Yeah. Those are the guys. Really the, like, oh, they're the most, they're the most sought after guys. Yeah. I mean, the guys that have brought shame to the, the guys that have brought shame and lawsuits to the NFL. Yeah. And so if Jim Harbaugh, if I was supposed to feel great about Jim Harbaugh, how am I supposed to feel great about anybody? I, I don't really. So that's why these things, they're, they're so on, they're so thin on the margins. And when, again, who does the, who does the tie wind up going to? It seems like it keeps going to one type of person every time. And that is not something that would happen if these processes were more intricate and less flimsy. Oh, the owner wants to be with this guy, wants to be with that guy, and the owner this, the owner that. I don't care what the owner thinks. Shout out, shout I know out it's to, his football yeah. team, but at the end of the day, the, they're just cashing the checks. Shout out to shout out to Keith McPherson, uh, WFAN. He he was talking about how uh, you remember the the Matt Rule hiring. One of the things the yeah. owner liked about Matt Rule when he interviewed him was that Matt Rule came in dressed very casual. He dressed a lot like how um, the owner dresses, and that was one of the main reasons. That was a, that was a, a thing that made the owner think that this guy might be the right guy to be my head coach. Because he, yeah. he came in dressed casually. Which, first of all, I'm just like, when I think about the history of just black men being in interview processes and the idea of, like, oh, you got to be presentable, you got to have the right haircut, you know, right, right, get clean cut, you got to, you know, shave, shave yourself, make sure you got a nice suit on. Like, I'm thinking this guy got a job because he's like, oh, man, he dressed kind of casual. It's kind of like me. And I related to that. And I'm also thinking of, even beyond that, I'm thinking of the fact that you fast forward now two years later and Tepper. Hey, the guy can't, can't, he can't wait to get rid of him. He wants to ring Rule's neck. And yeah, he's like, yo, so, man, this this contract I mean, is bad money. Rule wants, wants to coach Michigan and Penn State yeah. and every other. He wants to coach any school in the Big Ten. Every time um, I turn around, the owner's like, yo, this is bad money, but I can't do nothing about it. And again, you just said it. He made the decision based on what the guy wore at his interview. This is stupid stuff. <laughs> exactly, man. Do, do, do I? I mean, <laughs> the GM, honestly, they're, they're another weird situation where, like, the GM there works for Rule. So, like, the coach kind of has to. The owner has to make the decision on who the coach is because he ran, he brought in rule to run the whole organization, right? Which yeah, again, yeah, I think a should brilliant, be brilliant idea. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't want to say it shouldn't be allowed, but like that's again something where the NFL has to like they got to do something about that kind of stuff. Like, you know, again, if you're hiring, if you're hiring Matt Rule, you have to hire him to be the GM and the owner. I mean, and the and the head coach. If that's what if that's what the power dynamic is going to be, um, but. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's these things are are, are are a mess, and the only way to fix it is less owner involvement. Once you do that, yep. I think we see because let's be honest, GMs. I mean, we already know what the with the makeup of uh, of NFL owners. Ninety nine percent of them tend to be it's older white older white guys mm. with with management. There is going to be yeah, more slightly more progressive yeah. mindsets. Right, for sure. You know, there's going to be... And also, 
your job is not has is not dependent is dependent upon winning. Right. Yeah. You're trying. You're trying to fight like hell just to keep your job, keep your it's family. All these things are your so family, keep your home yes. and things like that. So you can't you can't really bring your prejudice in. Right. At least you, uh, you know smart not to. Yeah. Worst case scenario for an owner. Worst case scenario, uh, we're still gonna make money. You know, yeah, I'd right. want to win, but you know, I want to win yeah, this, my. This is, yeah, this is their, this is their playground. Those guys, it's their playground, made a, made a lot of money or inherited a lot of money for their businesses or whatever they got, and this is their this is their playground. This is where they have fun. Everyone so, talks about. I want to hear the stories of all the sham interviews that we've seen over the years. Honestly, I can tell you the stories because I can, <laughs> I can read a newspaper and be yeah, like, "I was going to get this job." Marvin <laughs> right. Lewis interviewing for the Cowboys last year was probably a sham interview. What I will say is, I want to hear the stories. Of the GMs, white or black, that have wanted to hire a black coach, but were over overruled by a white owner, mm-hmm. you know, or that's, just in that's, general, that's, maybe that's, not that's, black or white, maybe just wanted to hire ex coach, but were overruled by the owner. Those stories are out there. One hundred percent, it's got to be, and that shouldn't be a thing. Nope. No, well said, man. Let's uh. We'll drop the show. We're running out of time here. I know we're running a little long. I want to quickly talk about these NBA All-Star Reserves. So NBA All-Star Weekend, a couple of weeks away. We finally got the reserves for that game. Whenever we get the full All-Star game rosters, comes with a lot of controversy because people feel like guys got snubbed. What I always hate about the, the conversation is people, A, say guys got snubbed, but don't say who they want to take off. And B, people <laughs> yeah. don't understand that there's a formatting to how the roster are put together. So you can't just say, like I keep saying, how come Chris Middleton got in above LaMelo Ball? And it's just like, Chris Middleton's a forward. He got in as a forward. LaMelo Ball is a guard. So And because there were other guards that voted ahead of him, he couldn't get in. So, like, it's very, it's, it's not that hard to, com- it's not that complicated, but people don't seem to understand some of these intricacies. So it's annoying. But, of course, me and you are basketball nerds and all-star game knows for sure. So we kind of know this stuff. So... <laughs> We'll try to give you guys the best context as quickly as we can here. So when it comes to the reserve, we had the All-Stars started last week that we mentioned. For the reserves in the Eastern Conference, Harden, Darius Garland, young guard from Cleveland, first-time All-Star, Fred Van Vliet, uh, another first-time All-Star, only the fourth player in NBA history to be undrafted and make an All-Star game. First player since Ben Wallace did it. Zach Levine uh, makes the All-Star game. You also had Jimmy Butler, Chris Middleton, and Jason Tatum for these. The West... Chris Paul, Donovan Mitchell, Luka Doncic, Devin Booker, Colin V. Towns, Rudy Gobert, and Draymond Green, who says he will not be playing in the All-Star game because of an injury, so there will be another spot open there, which will be the commissioner's selection. I said at the top of the show, you may be surprised how I felt about this. I really have very little problem with this All-Star reserves. I don't really see much of an issue with all but one player making the All-Star game. I, and I think it's pretty solid to me. Like I don't think a lot of guys have these great cases over these guys. I think Chris Middleton should not be an all-star. Um, I think, to me, you talk about the injuries. You talk about the dip in production this season. And, look, the, the Bucks they're not playing for these, like, individual accolades at this point. Like, they're just trying to now stack championships, trying to be a dynasty. They're trying to go and play for legacy. And I respect that, and I acknowledge that. But when you're doing that and the regular season becomes – an afterthought, you can't then also be rewarded for your regular season play and say you're an all-star. Um, Chris Milliton has missed some games, not a ton of games, but he's missed some games. He missed about, I think, 10 or 11 games this season. Uh, his field goal percentage is down. His three-point percentage is down. 
his uh, points per game were down, all slightly, but you know enough to where I think it's it's pretty considerable. And to me, I think Jared Allen should have made the All Star team. I also hate that centers get such a terrible rap in this league, and nobody wants to put centers in the All Star game. I think that is to me is highly frustrating and and a little ridiculous. But to me, I think given how the Bucks have played this season, I, I even though the Bucks and Cavs have almost an identical record. I think I might have been more inclined to say the Cavs have been more of a sum of their parts team than one individual making the All-Star game. And I might have preferred to say, yo, let's put uh, Jared Allen in the All-Star game. The guy, their whole foundation and the whole identity of their team this season can have been this big lineup that people thought was insane. to be putting out, like, essentially three seven-footers <laughs> in your starting lineup. And so, like, that's been the, the identity of the ball club. And he's the face of that strategy, essentially. And it's worked tremendously well, and it's worked because he's played at such an incredible level. His rebounding, his energy, his defense, and his, his offensive game has improved. And the idea that you know there are no NBA, there are no centers who deserve to be an NBA All Star except for Joel and B in the Eastern Conference, I don't necessarily buy that. I don't buy that. Uh, Chris Middleton's having a good year, but you know I don't think he's having the year that predicated he had to be an All Star. I think you could have made a case that if you're going to pick a buck, it should have been Drew Holiday. And maybe Drew Holiday has an argument against some of these guards that you want to argue about. But I don't think Chris Middleton should have made it. The West, I had no problem with anybody. Um, the West, I had no problem with anybody. There's obviously going to have to be a replacement. If it was me, it's a little tricky, you know, to add another guard. But you can pick any player when it comes to a commissioner pick. He doesn't have to go by, oh, you were a forward that was out, so I had to pick a forward. I, I might I might go with a guard. I might go with Deontay Murray. Um the first time also. I think for those commissioner picks, you know, you should go with guys who are deserving, but I think when it's like close between a lot of different guys, you know, I always like to try to get a guy who is a first timer, you know, to replace someone like that. Because you already got, you know, 23 guys who are, a lot of you guys are megastars, the guys who've been there a long time. I don't need to add a guy who's another name per se uh, for a guy who's going to be a last man on the roster kind of player. So uh, add a young guy, add a guy who maybe could bring uh, some electric play. So I would see maybe like see Murray get that last spot, but overall, I thought the coaches did a really good job with the All Star rosters. Yeah, yeah. I mean the the West, the West uh, was pretty easy to make. Um, you know, yeah. Some people arguing should should Anthony Edwards have gotten yeah, a look. I don't know. I can't get the I can't get the T Wolves two All Stars. <laughs> not that they've been bad. Like they haven't yeah. they haven't been bad. I'm not even dissing them, but they haven't been good enough to where you deserve two All Stars. Yeah, I can see that as well. Um, will he get a will Will he get a look uh, for the for the pick? Um, I mean, Probably. it depends what the NBA wants to do. I mean, he's already going to All Star Weekend as a rising star. Yes, yeah, so you know, right now, as, as far as we know, isn't. Um, yes. So they could decide, you know, give give Murray a shot, give him some exposure, or they could decide. Well, Edward's already there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to give Murray. I don't give pay Murray's free. Uh, give him a, a free <laughs> trip to Cleveland. Not to say that. I mean, you know, I'm not sure if people. I'm not sure if a free, to, free, to, free trip to Cleveland is what uh, Stephen Morris, Stephen uh, Ross was offering <laughs> Brian Flora. He talked about going yeah, on vacation, yeah, right. let's say at least. But you know, for All Star game, I'm sure uh, Deontay Murray would, would would take this trip. But I mean, and like I want to give it out for to, free. Uh, yeah, like the free trip to <laughs> to the Senior Bowl. 
Uh, oh, yeah, to, yeah, to Mobile, Alabama. Yeah, you're telling me how the Jets must have been just, like, thrilled. Oh, to, yeah. To be, uh, <laughs> oh, working great. the Senior Bowl this week. <laughs> the Lions, Lions, like, the second this is the uh, second time in three years the Lions have, have, have done the Senior Bowl. First with Patricia two years ago, and now with Campbell, so... Yeah, I wonder uh, if Campbell is getting. Uh, I wonder if he's getting a, a bonus from the from the from the pre- from the owner for. You, uh, <laughs> <laughs> congratulations! You're working the senior bowl. Here's 100 racks. <laughs> That's what Hugh Jackson said. <laughs> you know these weird incentives. Oh, they, yeah, you, got, yeah. you got picked to, to coach the senior bowl. <laughs> Great job. It, it, here's 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 five hundred. Here's five five fifty thousand dollars. And you're just like, why would I get more money? <laughs> we only coaching this because we garbage. You know. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's wild. But um. But yeah, no, I thought the West was 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 fine. I think the East there were a lot of a lot of interesting interesting discussions in the East. There were a lot of guys who have had great years that didn't make it. Um, you know, I mean, you mentioned uh, you, you you mentioned uh, Lam- I don't know, did you mention Lamelo Ball? Yeah, uh, people mentioned Lamelo yeah. Ball as a guy yeah, who made it. Yeah, uh, you know, Miles Bridges also in Charlotte um, had a conversation with the season he's had. Yeah, he's been great. Um, you know, Tyler Hero's a guy that you know on TNT. They seem to have thought most almost everybody, almost everybody on TNT had him in, uh, and then he didn't make it. Uh, so they were a little surprised on the reveal show. Uh, Jimmy Butler got in ahead of Hero, which was a little bit of a conversation as well. Um, yeah, Jalen Brown. You know, is, is you know the Celtics have had a you know a subpar year. You know, but Jalen Brown's a guy that we think of as an All Star level player, but the team. Team hasn't been been that good, so yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it's you really can't, you have you can't have two Celtics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that, that <laughs> optically would not have looked great. Um, yeah, though, though, I will say, I was thinking about it before we did this show. I was like, shout out to Jason Tatum. He's become a true, true veteran of this league, a veteran star of this league, perennial All Star guy now. Yeah, and the reason why I say that, Kendall, is because like most veteran stars, who are on the, who are on the brink of possibly <laughs> not making it to the All Star game. <laughs> he decided to let the league know, hey, remember who I am. Just to, just here's, to... a, here's this 50 piece. I know you're voting in a couple of days. Yeah. Here's this here's this 40 piece. Shout out to Dame Lillard. Dame Lillard was the master at this. <laughs> oh, I'm, knew, I'm, on, the, I'm, on, I'm, on, I'm on the brink. Here's 60. <laughs> you, you knew Dame Lillard. <laughs> Jason Tatum right. has learned very well. And shout out to Jason Tatum for getting the job done. Because he was on the brink. A couple, a couple, three, four weeks ago, I wasn't sure. You look at his knew, stats uh, in the last two months, you're like, oh, well, he knew. He knew he was on the brink. He made sure. You knew Damian nah, Lillard was in bad shape. Remember my name. You knew, you knew Damian Lillard's future in, in Portland was in bad shape when uh when he wasn't. He was like, I'm going to shut it down. I, I don't care about the all-star game. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's when you know it's over. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> Damian Lillard would have went out there with a damn broken arm. <laughs> just, bad just make sure he can get that invite. And he would have put 40 on somebody. To make people think, oh well, damn, we gotta put him in. He he he's had eighty yesterday. How are we not gonna put him in the All Star game? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So him saying, yo, man, put me under the knife. It's a wrap. <laughs> That's how you know he's done with Portland. He, he's done with that whole situation. Yeah. I you know I I'm yeah the I'm, ball I, thing, I the ball thing for me was like like I think Ball has a great case. He he has, he's having a great season. I think the reason why I don't feel as sympathetic to Ball because my thing is okay. Again, let's play the game. You gotta pick a guard. Who's coming off or the wild card spots? Because you know Milton and them guys definitely ain't no damn wild card. All those guys are were forward guys because they all kind of have warts, you know Tatum, Milton, and Butler. So you know it was two guards who made it, and then there was two guards who were who were what's you know wild cards. So those are the guys you're picking against. 
So he's saying, okay, Garland, Harden, Van Vliet, and Levine. He has no case over Harden and Levine, in my opinion. I think most people would agree with that. Van Vliet and Garland are the guys you look at. Although there was no enthusiasm on the on the TNT show when Harden got the pick. You know, like the pick before Garland got it, and, you know, Draymond's a clutch force guy, so obviously he was very excited. But everybody was like, oh, I was so glad to see that. Then Harden got They were like, James Harden, Rick Cricket. <laughs> they didn't say anything. And then they moved uh, on to the next guy, whoever it was. Look, man, the guy's averaging 10 assists a game. I mean, he got, he's got to be there. <laughs> like, you know, he's it's James Harden. I mean, it's the most unimpressive, the most unimpressive year of James Harden's career. <laughs> right. He, you know. Yeah. But, like, it's almost like he's he, he's like a prisoner of his own success. Cause yes, like, if he's know, just like an automatic also. Yeah, like, and what he's, he's done in the not past. Playing to not make it. Right. So, you know, those he uh, there's no case for ball over those guys. To me, we look at Van Vliet and Garland. For the Garland case, I say, okay, Garland's team it's, it's has, perform- has performed better. And I don't think they're, like, way more talented than Charlotte at all. Like, the talent's pretty equal. And their numbers are very similar. Like, they're, they're splitting hairs when you look at almost every metric. So there's yeah, no, there's, there's, there's no statistical case that a, says... I don't think there's a case between him and Garland either. Yeah, I, I, I personally don't think either. Good. Right, I don't I personally like, think so either. I know some people may try to argue. I don't think Charlotte so. Charlotte isn't good enough. And they're good, and, and let's be clear, they've been good, and they've improved a lot. Like, they're one of the, if it wasn't for Cleveland, they'd be one of the biggest stories in the East. But, but Cle- Cleveland, has, Cleveland has been like... like not better than, I don't know I don't know if they have a better record than Boston. I mean, Boston no, got one. I, I mean, I agree with that, but I mean, there weren't a lot of expectations for Charlotte. Right, right. And that's but, the, but yeah, they're, they're like, half game up on Charlotte. You're right, they've exceeded expectations. Which were low. Although they but, are, which were very low, but... But Cleveland's like, expectations Cleveland were even lower. One of the best teams in the Eastern yeah, Conference. Their Cleveland expectations was lower than Charlotte's. Yeah, and they're and far they're better. they're way better than Charlotte. And they're one of the top teams in the conference. So, so they had to get one guy. Yeah, you know? so I totally agree. I don't think Toronto, that's really I, a strong I, case. I feel like Van Vliet, it was the, he was the margin guy. He was the guy on the on the brink, and he got in. I, look, I'm happy for Van Vliet. Um, for me, I just feel like if you watch Toronto this year and you th- see all the clutch shots – that Van Vliet has made for them. And, again, the numbers, there isn't no clear case that says, oh, Ball was definitely better. I mean, I'm cool with Van Vliet getting the spot over him. I just am. Like, I I think that Van Vliet has been uh, playing through injury through some of this season. He's been tough as nails. He's, he's a big shot maker. And there isn't some statistical moral that looks and says, oh, clearly Ball is better. He, he leads the league in minutes. He's playing, like, almost 40 minutes a night. Like, he deserved to be an all-star. Like, I, I told me you talked about it months ago. I kept saying, yo, I think Fran, I hope Fran really makes it. He 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 deserves to be an all-star. He's playing at all-star level. You know? So, Ball could eventually still get in through some some injury somewhere and stuff. It wouldn't surprise me if he did. But uh, I didn't see this, like, egregious snub to me. Like, I think that the guys that made it all were deserving, except for Chris Middleton. But whereas Ball would be my first pick to replace somebody when it came to these guys that got picked to be a reserves he just wasn't going to be in a battle between him and chris Middleton. that wasn't going to be a conversation because chris Middleton plays in the front court but i do think chris Middleton should not have made it over someone like again uh jared allen now the question to me is is someone like drew holiday deserve a better look because unlike Middleton, his numbers are pretty good like he didn't really dip in my opinion in terms of his production like did he deserve a better look you know over those guards than you know, should he have been up against Fred Van Vliet and up against Garland and some of those guys? And that may be a better conversation because his numbers are a lot more close to what he did last year. They're a lot more identical than what he did last year. 
And we know the defense he plays. My counter would be, well, he's played the least amount of games out of those guys. I guess maybe except Harden, maybe. But, you know, especially out of the two guys that we're really talking about, the two fringe guys that I think yeah. most people would assume. That's going to do it for this edition of New Generation Sports Talk. Hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. I thought it was a really awesome conversation. I thought it was one of the better episodes we had personally. So hope you guys enjoyed listening listening to it. Of course, if you like this episode, make sure you check out all of our podcasts on New Generation Podcast Network. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, be sure to check us out on YouTube, New Generation Media, where we have our video content up there. We actually just did... Uh, uh, an episode or rather a new video or a new series we're doing NBA Draft Versus. We're taking top prospects and pitting them against each other in conversations about which guy has the advantage heading into this NBA Draft. Our first video was Paolo Bancaro versus Jabari Smith. Really interesting conversation between me and Kendall. I think you guys check it out. Um, people who are watching seem to really enjoy it. So check that one out. Again, you can find that on our YouTube video, New Genera- YouTube channel, sorry, New Generation Media. Follow us on social media, Twitter, New Generation Pod, Instagram New Generation Podcast. Follow us on uh, social media. Uh, well, I just said that social media. Follow individual on social media. You can find us. Uh, Kendall is at Twitter. On Twitter, uh, New Gen Ken. You can find me on Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart. And on Instagram, Action EJ. Thank you guys again for checking us out. Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. 